Hello, it is Tuesday, June 23rd, 2020. We got a great, hey, great show today. If you like the show, please tell a friend. Say, hey, you know what? I like Pat McAfee Show 2.0. If you didn't like the show, just act like whatever's about to happen never fucking happened. The MLB made a season, 60 games to start on July 24th through July 26th with spring training 2.0 beginning of July 1st. And the players have until today, Tuesday, June 23rd. Until 5 p.m. to decide whether or not they're in or not. So there's a little bit of progress in the baseball world last night. What will the players say? We'll talk about that on Thursday. Also, I believe Reggie Bush is coming on the show. hi Great conversation to be had there. Let's get to it. Joining us now is a man who is an absolute legend in the McAfee household growing up. All of Pittsburgh loved him. He was a man at once in the NFL. He played quarterback, wide receiver, tight end, offensive line, defensive line, safety, punt returner, kick returner, kicker, and punter. At College at Colorado, he's known for the Hail Mary to beat Michigan. Ladies and gentlemen, Slash Cordell Stewart. Cordell, what's going on? How are we doing? I'm great, man. Thank you so much for joining us. No problem, man. I just, you know, I'm at the gym with my son. I had to come back in his coffin corner back here uh, to find a quiet spot. So the noise you hear in the background is in the, I'm in the gym, guys. I'm in the gym. Well, <laughs> I, I would expect nothing less, by the way. One of the greatest athletes this world has ever seen. Um, I don't want to – this is kind of a weird qu- – how old are you now, Cordell? I'm uh, 47 years young. Damn. Damn. I know, time. Time has flown by, hadn't it? How, how ahead of your time do you think you were in the NFL? Do you ever think oh about that? You have God. to think about that. I would assume that is something that you have to think about. Man, you know, truthfully, un- being unselfish, uh, it's a pleasure to see that scouts, commentators, uh, the fan base even, are really open and appreciative of just talented football players. Right. Because sometimes we get so caught up into the tradition of what we think it should look like and should be to the point where guys who do have talent and can't play the position, get left behind or even have to move and play other positions at one point in time. uh, If they didn't have the coaches around to help these young men evolve, because the game is about developing. You know, I'm coaching quarterbacks and receivers at the high school where my son goes. He's a cornerback. He plays receiver and kick returner and what you learn as a coach is is you know in little league you're developing kids high middle school you're developing kids high school college when you get to the pros because of the business side of things you sometimes automatically assume because monies and where you came from and things that you've accomplished up until that point it should be that like that throughout the duration and sometimes Guys don't have the right trainers or can continue to train like they did during the offseason when they came out of college. But you sometimes hope you can get it while you're at the organizations. And the only times you can get it is in those small spurts, right? You got OTAs, uh, you got the mini camps, you oh. got the, the, the big camps. And the unfortunate is, truthfully, it's a business. That's the unfortunate side of it on the National Football League level to where sometimes when it comes to developing it kind of, you know, father time kicks in too. Let's be transparent, right? Yeah. Father time kicks in too. But you just want to give these guys an opportunity, just like we saw the Steve Youngs, 
who was horrible when he was in Tampa. I think he went through the USFL run to then sitting with Bill Walsh and sitting behind the Steve, behind the uh, Joe Montanas of the world, and then became a Hall of Famer because he had a chance to sit and learn, and they were patient enough with him to give him that chance. And, and now he has a yellow jacket because of the patience of the coaching staff. Let's talk about your story through this entire thing, because I assume that that is what you're referring to. Because when you came out of Colorado, do you think you weren't a good enough quarterback yet to be in the NFL? Jog my memory a little bit. Did you start out a wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers, or how did you? How did it go? Um, so to your first question, when I was coming out of college, I mean, I had Rick Nuazo as my quarterback's coach my senior year. Uh, I only lost, I think, three or four games throughout my career at University of Colorado as a starter, three-year starter. Um, you know, so my my work was well, my work was great. I mean, when you look back on it, because sometimes when I watch the highlights, when I watch you watch it on Instagram, sometimes because you know they, oh, yeah. they have these legends things they do, and and sometimes they show some of the players that came through the you know, institution that were great players, and and I look at some of the throws I was making, I'm like. Who is that guy? Right? <laughs> seventy-five <laughs> yard bomb that that yeah. hail mary against Michigan was seventy-five in the air. I mean, that was yeah. just next level. You know, you, you listen to these the four letter the four letter end, uh, network, and they say sixty-two to sixty-four yards. I'm like, guys, that's ten more yards, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I can't let you cut me short <laughs> on where it left my hand, even though they have the unofficial and the official distance. I say both of those uh, distances were 74 yards in the air. So, Listen, as a punter, um, hey, as a punter, Cordell, I will let you know I very much understand that because <laughs> we don't get any credit for the 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage that we punt the ball. It's only from the line of scrimmage. It's all BS. I'm on your side here. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you talk about your hip flexors and your hamstrings for punting the ball so much, you know, even though it was a 55-yard punt, you know, what about when you're sitting that back there extra 10 yards? You got to give that to you because it came off the foot from that distance. They but, give it to the kickers, you know. Cordell. They don't give it to us. They give it to the kickers. The kicker is from the spot. They don't give it to the quarterbacks or the punters. That's why I've said quarterbacks and punters basically the same people. <laughs> yeah, the same people. And, and here's the thing. They've changed so many rules. I think if enough kickers and quarterbacks, when it comes to making those throws, complain enough, I think we might get ours changed too right, when it comes it to the yardage. But let's write it down. yeah, when I came out of college, Cordell you know, quarterback was my thing. Um, Lee Steinberg was my, my agent. There were conversations about uh, if I would go to Canada, I could be a, a top pick in Canada uh, to him telling me he had Warren Moon as one of his clients. You know, African American quarterback uh, who was a had a great arm. I mean, think about the yards he threw in Canada; it was unbelievable. Then came to the National Football League and did another excellent job to where he ended up getting the yellow jacket because he was capable of enduring. But Lee gave me the visual of understanding that you know, are you committed to being a quarterback? I said most definitely. So I go to the Hula Bowl, which was our Senior Bowl. MVP, Ooh. Uh, MVP yep. in our actual team bowl game against Notre Dame. Ooh. Went to the combine. I lit it up. Um, and it went from me potentially being in the sixth round because they wasn't thinking about the mobile quarterback being a top draft pick like they are today to all of a sudden being a 60th pick overall going to the Steelers, coming in behind quarterbacks like the late Steve McNair, Kerry Collins, and Todd Collins, and then I was the fourth quarterback taken to the Steelers and once I got to the Steelers as they asked me in my interview when I was at the combine if we needed you to help out somewhere else would you 
And what you think I'm going to say, Pat? Oh, <laughs> of I'll, course I would. Anything, <laughs> anything for the team to win. Anything for the of team. Course to win. I, of course, you say the cliche thing, the, the 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 diplomatic thing to to make sure you get an opportunity. And honestly, when I got there, they didn't ask me to do the slash thing. That ended up being something where Neil O'Donnell got injured. Mike Tomczak had to come in. We played against the Detroit Lions. Uh, Barry Sanders broke Rod Woodson down, tore his knee uh, to Charles Johnson. He had an injury. I mean, there was a tremendous, and I think we were down like, I think we were two and four at the time. And I'm helping out in practice on scout team, just doing whatever, just to stay in shape instead of sitting back there being like a typical traditional quarterback doing nothing. Um <laughs> I mean, I'm just being transparent. That sounded like <laughs> some shots there as well. At that. You know, and, and so, <laughs> you know, I help. And then before you know it, Neil O'Donnell and I had a conversation. I said, Neil, you know, I'm going to start moving around as you're throwing the ball and we're warming up. And as I was moving, he was throwing it to me. And all of a sudden, he talked around. He said, Correll, you think you, you would play, you could play receiver? And at that time, Neil was coming back. I was like, heck yeah, I could. I'm like, I'm, I do whatever it takes to help us win. And before you know it, Chan Gailey was my receivers coach. He became creative. Before you know it, I catch, well, I get a snap and, and from the from the shotgun to throw the ball to Yancey Thigpen in the flat against Cleveland Browns on Monday night, reverse the field, throw it to Ernie Mills in the back of the end zone. Myron Cope gets on the radio, said, mm ha, it's Slash. Coral story, he comes out and he makes a great play. Mm ha, the guy Slash and Dash, he went. So it, it, it became a, it became a phenomenon, man, and, and it was pro- arguably um, my best year, I would say, in football throughout my entire life because I got on the football field and played the game in the National Football League like we all did as kids, right, growing up. I played quarterback, I played running back, I played wide receiver, and I even did your job. I punted a couple times. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know – Jack of all trades, master at nothing, but it helped us get to the next level. And uh, after that, that's when it kind of transitioned to being a quarterback. Okay, so let's talk about Taysom Hill because this seems like the closest thing because a lot of people that grew up in Pittsburgh, whenever we see Taysom Hill operate, we go, this is kind of what we were doing with Slash there for a little bit. He's throwing the ball. He's getting big completions, wide receiver. Sean Payton has been very open. He's been, hey, we think Taysom Hill is going to be our quarterback whenever Drew Brees is done. Now they bring in Jameis Winston for a one-year, $1 million deal. Everybody's assuming Drew's going to be done after this year. What do you think about Taysom Hill whenever you watch him play? And do you think he'll be able to follow in your footsteps to become a full time quarterback I mean that remains to be seen to be honest um, you know there will be that question mark of can he lead a team by being a full-time quarterback as I had in Pittsburgh you know thought it was they thought it was a joke you know that a guy who catches the ball this well who's one of the fastest if not the fastest on the team Ooh. outrunning secondary players running across the middle better than some of my, our first round draft picks um, <laughs> Then ask him to come in to play quarterback and, and, and need him to be accurate. They didn't think it could work. Now, Taysom Hill has to prove that he can do it as far as being behind the helm, calling the plays, calling the shots, timeouts, managing the game. Can he get the team to the playoffs? All of those things. Um, we've seen it done once before. The question now, can he actually do it? And I think it remains to be seen. Uh, for us being able to transition from doing all the different things to then being just 
a full-time quarterback. And, and, and I'm going to tell you, you know, depending on who supporting cast is, as far as the coaching staff and the organization is concerned, uh, had a phone call come in. That's why I kind of blinked. Yeah, was that, Bill um, was, that, was that Bill Cowher? Yeah, it wasn't Bill Cowher. <laughs> um, you know, it becomes one of those situations where you have to set the system up for him to gradually grow into it. And, and, and then as he finds his niche, you know, then I think you can then depend on it 100%. But I think he has enough ability. He's proven that to be able to play the game. It's just once just being a quarterback, that becomes the daunting task. That's the unknown until we actually have an opportunity to see him do it. You know, what's interesting to me is because whenever we got to see you play and how all the accolades you just read off about how fast you were and being able to, to throw a ball on a buck. I mean, you led the Steelers to the AFC championship game as a quarterback. I mean, that is a tall task. Not a lot of people have done that. Did you expect maybe the mobile quarterback to get a little bit more rub early because Lamar Jackson's going to completely flip this game on his head. The Wildcat quarterback thing that Miami Dolphins tried, I think it was like seven years ago, eight years ago, no. that was just a fad and then it left. And now Lamar Jackson's kind of taking it to this next level because he is the most athletic person on the field. Michael Vick there for a little bit. Obviously, he had a hell of a run. No. But do you think there's ever going to – do you think the game is evolving as you watch it and it's like, you know what, maybe I was just 20 years ahead of my time. I would have been the guy here. I think if you go back to college football and you watch the mobility of quarterbacks, I don't care what their nationality is. They're mobile nowadays. Yeah. The speed of the defensive linemen are getting faster as we speak, literally. That is the future of our league, the kids that are coming up. And the way the game has changed when it comes to RPOs nowadays on the offense side of football, See, because when I played, we didn't do Wildcat. You know, it wasn't the, the RPOs. It was it was traditional one step on the five on the one yard line, throwing the fade route, three step drop, five step drop, seven step drop, bootlegs, quarterback draws, all of that good good stuff. And it was the, the traditional way of running a team. Nowadays, they are actually a, a, a adapting to bring in that RPO system in. Uh, run pass option to the point where the ability of the quarterbacks are putting them on the perimeter to utilize their skill set as a Lamar Jackson, even though it's not the RPO system. Hey, you had to watch that, though. You have to watch that and just be like, wait yeah. a minute. So I just have to I, – I got a fake run here, and I'm just reading the end, and if he crashes, I'm keeping. If not, I'm going. I mean, that you have to watch that and just be like, damn it, why didn't we have this in whenever I was in Pittsburgh? You guys could Well, well it, but, but my thing is we didn't have to have it, though. You know, in Pittsburgh, it was what we were doing was working. Hell yeah! Again, I'll Hell give you, yeah. I'll give you this story. Hell yeah! Hell and, yeah. And, and my my career in Pittsburgh was controversial because no one was buying into it for the most part. I mean, it when it worked, everybody was happy. When it did work, on to the next guy. Plain and simple, right? So, uh, Dick Hokey, the legendary coach, running backs coach, there was there in Pittsburgh, Penn State guy, played for the Steelers, then coached for the Steelers. Uh, to Dan Rooney, the late Dan Rooney, who was like a father figure, so to speak. He was such a great man. To even Coach Cower, all three of these guys, all three of these guys told me that if I would have played wide receiver, I could have gone to the Hall of Fame. Now, oh boy, right. Yeah. So, yeah. when I hear this, I'm saying to myself, because we just talked about if 
I could have done all the RPO stuff. I could have lasted. I'm like, I didn't have to do the RPO stuff. We were running a traditional offense in two years out of this, what, the six years I was starting, we went to the AFC Championship game. The other years we were going back and forth of trying to figure out who the coordinator was going to be. Because you had five quarter coordinators out of five years, out of eight years. And of my time being there, I had Mike Malarkey, Ray Sherman, Kevin Gilbride, Mike Malarkey again. So, and Ron Earhart. So I've had four out of some time. So when you have these conversations, you then say, okay, Coach Kyra said I was playing quarterback, but I was the best receiver on the field. I'm like, were they really bought in to the great lengths to say, this is our guy, right? You know, this is who we're don't, – don't say you gave me a chance and the only time it works by giving me a chance is when I'm playing great. I'm talking about through the ups and the downs, literally. You know, we're doing the – you know, the, 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 move, the moving chairs of, of quarterbacks, Kent Grahams and – and so when you ask the question, if we could have done that, I could have lasted, not in Pittsburgh, because that's not what they were looking for in Pittsburgh. And we didn't even go that far to playing that style of offense. We were doing a traditional thing. And, you know, when I look back on it, when leaving Pittsburgh before I went to Chicago, you know, the, the, the record was a winning record. Pass, touch, the touchdown interception ratio was, was more touchdowns than interceptions. And I'm like, you know, that style of quarterbacking could not have existed as long as it did for Donovan McNabb in Philly under Andy Reid to what happened with Michael Vick to a Russell Wilson for the sake of conversation uh, to a, a Deshaun Watson. Okay. Um, Steve, even Steve Young, if you, if you want to throw Steve Young in that account, even Aaron Rodgers, I sometimes get disappointed with Aaron Rodgers because he doesn't run enough. I, because hey, he's so athletic. He is. By the way, there's a sneaky athletic dude right there, Aaron Rodgers. He'll get yeah, on the yeah. edge sometimes. He'll start high-stepping mm-hmm. to around people. Then he'll unstrap that, the chin strap and just start But smi- he needs to do it more. But he needs to do it more. You know, he needs to do it more because he has the ability to do it. But Cordell, like- Cordell everybody says if you do that, you're going to get hurt. That's Everybody says that about Lamar. They're like, oh, Lamar's one hit away from just getting put your- hurt. Just put your chin strap on and put on your, your outfit and just. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah! You can get hurt doing that, right? Yeah. I mean, you can get hurt sitting at your locker trying to put your cleats on, catching a cramp in your hammy, and then try to pull it out. And you pull it. You know, it's like you. you it, it, no, you know, and and I think until we get to the point where we have to understand in order, and I know Tom Brady and 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 if you will the Peyton Mannings yeah. to. We could keep going to the Dan Marinos, to the, the Jim Kellys. You know, that was in the AFC where, you know, it's a copycat league, right? So if that style of quarterback is winning championships, what do you do? You're going to try to find that kind of quarterback. But in the NFC, what were the guys that was actually getting it done? It was the mobile quarterback. So you had the Randall Cunningham. So you had the Michael Vicks. So you had the Donovan McNabbs, uh, right? Yeah. So it just kept on going. Steve Young. It just kept on going. Jeff Garcia. Aaron Rodgers, right? It just kept on going in the NFC as far as the mobile quarterback and the AFC with the pocket passer. So the game has evolved to where they're going to have no choice at some point in time to where out of 32 teams, Patrick Mahomes, he's a mobile quarterback. His football field he plays on is 60 yards. <laughs> it's not 100. Agreed. Because he can sling that thing wherever he wants to. Agreed. Right? Yep. The teams, the team, the other team's offense is at a disadvantage because there's no other quarterback that could sling it the way he does at any moment. Like when you see him drop back and he scrambles, 
it's not as if the receivers that were going deep actually come back short and go deep again. They're steadily going deep. <laughs> They're not coming back. And, I mean, when you throw it to Tariq Hill as fast as he is, the ball catches up with him, and he's a cheetah. So I'm like, you know, the game has changed, man. And And I think the philosophy for me as a guy who played the game from the pocket but had the ability to get outside of it, um, I'm I'm just glad the commentators, the same guys who were saying it was a great throw to the mobile quarterback in the past, are now saying today with the mobile quarterback, great pass, right? Oh. As a, you know what I'm saying? Back in the day, they used to say, such a great athlete, all right, to where actually great moving in the pocket and staying and making a phenomenal – you know, it's it's a different dialogue. You yeah. just go back and watch some of the film. I watch it sometimes. It's hilarious. Um, you know, because my ears are hypersensitive to it because I was <laughs> the mobile quarterback. Well, and those were the uh, things but, that were being said about you, I assume, in a bad way. Like, yeah, he can throw good, but he's a uh, pocket pat. Like, that is too – that right. is a very interesting thing, the way to look at that. I never even would have yeah. thought of it. Right, because, you know, it, it, again, <clears throat> and then you, you, you'll have some that would say – you know, um, he's disgruntled. He's upset. Listen, guys, the game was played differently back. We don't even talk about Jeff Blake anymore. Remember Jeff Blake in Cincinnati? Yeah, I do. I, I didn't, by the way, until right then, that moment that you just said right there, Jeff Blake. Like, seriously, right? Like, the quarterbacks in that era, it was almost like it went from the Randall Cunninghams and the Steve McNair's to jumped all the way over to the Michael Vicks. Right? There's nothing in between that's talked about when it comes to the mobile quarterback that played the game. And, and, and Jeff Blake was a mobile quarterback. And he threw that moon ball to Darnay Scott and Carl Pickings when we played in Cincinnati to the point where it seemed like it went out of the stadium and came back in. <laughs> great throw. You know? great, oh, great throw. Touchdowns. <laughs> touchdowns. And so, you know, it, it's, it's, it's amazing how the game has evolved again and how you listen to the game because you know it's if you don't evolve as commentators i mean i think you lose your audience because we know what we're looking at and i think nowadays they're doing a really good job and the best thing about it is i'm still young you know i'm not old and decrepit you know i'm more i'm more i'm more, I'm more let's call it refined right? there you go <laughs> yeah, there you I'm, go i'm refined i'm working out with my son he's killing me you know and i'm trying to keep up with him he wants to beat me every time and now he's beat me and running now so um it's good to see the game evolving the way it's evolving and uh, being able to cover it the way we do because it makes me excited, you know, to see these young players come out and play and see the Andy Reid still sticking to the guns of taking an incarcerated Michael Vick and bringing him in and making him the MVP of the league, the time in which he did, and letting him be himself, you know, to the 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 Sean Watsons, to the Russell Wilsons, to the Patrick Mahomes. I mean, even the Andrew Lux, for the sake of conversation, before he retired. Hey, he, was a he was one of the most physical quarterbacks running the ball, which I think was his, part of his demise of, of not being in the game anymore because he ended up getting injured a lot. So, me, I love mobile quarterbacks. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, should. I love when the quarterback is the fastest on the field. I love it, you know, because it makes your job easy, right? <laughs> 
All makes, you start doing is start pooch putting. Hey, it was very. <laughs> hey, when we got, I had Peyton there for a while, and then we had Luck, and I was just like, all right, here we go. If it's third and less than four, let's assume Luck is going to run through somebody. Uh, right. Hold on right. one second. We got to get to a break on radio. We'll keep, stay on YouTube. Uh, the radio, incredible conversation with Cordell Stewart. We'll be back in the second hour. Terrell Davis will be joining us, plus talking all other things happening in our magical world. Uh, it's Juneteenth. Look into it. Learn a little bit about it. We're back on the other side. This is the Pat McAfee Show. Cordell, whenever we yeah. had luck, that big son of a bitch, dude, when he started, <laughs> hey, whenever he showed up, dude, he was he was as big as a defensive end. Dude, he, I'm telling you. And he I'm could sling that thing. But you're 100% right, though. The way that they talked about it was always like, uh, this is a quarterback, this is a quarterback. And then whenever you get like a full mobile guy, it's always like great athlete playing quarterback. Great athlete. Yeah, it has, yeah, been, very, yeah. It has been very interesting to watch it all change. I want to let you know this, Cordell. You gave the McAfee family quite a thrill as children. I wish you were playing still to this day. And I can't thank you enough for joining us today, boss man. Yeah, no problem. This is my son. Let you see my son right here. <laughs> yeah. Where's he going All to right, school? Say what's up? Okay. Okay. Hey, we're getting after some mitts right there. Mitt work. How right, we jamming right, people? Right. We jamming people at the line? Yeah, we uh we're doing a little doing a little corner. We're doing a little corner work. Oh, 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 you know, oh flip those. Oh, come oh. back. Hey, he cut on a dime there, Cordell. We got he, yeah, he's, he yeah, he's faster yeah, he than you, you said? He's uh he's pretty quick. You know, he's, he's doing some good stuff. We got him going to the uh, elite underclassmen uh, camp next Saturday, Saturday uh, which which puts him in position to be a part of the, which is a part of the all the future fifty. Yeah, and also the uh, all American game. So what year you know, is Deion he? Sanders going to be? He's a senior. He just turned seventeen in May. Where's he going to go? Turned, so he's young. And where does he want to go? Does he want to follow your footsteps? Where do you guys live now? Are you in Colorado, California? Where you at? Ooh. Well, you know me. I'm like, I want him to go where daddy went. <laughs> if, if I had my choices, he would be where he would go where I went. So I just, but, you know, whatever they give him, I'm ready to see him get it. You know? So. Well, hopefully there'll be another. Hey, he's got a little hip flip there, hey, Cordell, huh? I mean, I guess he got it from his dad. It's in there. It's in there. Well, the coach right there almost hurting himself right there. <laughs> 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 Ladies and gentlemen, Cordell Stewart. Thank you, Cordell. Appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, guys. Anytime, man. You know how it goes, guys. It's it's all about, you know, sharing the love um, and just talking about the thing I love to do most, which is playing football. And as we were on break just now, you, you saw my son out there getting a little work. And, you know, that's what it's all about for me, man. It's just it's seeing that young, that young rascal getting in and – Hopefully, allow that that DNA to kick in at some point in time, to where he can he can be his own little beast. Hopefully. <laughs> well, I hope so. You were a beast whenever I got a chance to watch you. I hope that you yes, stay sir. in the game. You're great at talking about it. You're the man, ladies and gentlemen. Cordell Stewart. Yes. Thank you, Cordell. <laughs> so sorry to interrupt, but I need to tell you about the greatest shorts to ever exist. Okay, everybody knows I got big thighs. Skies out, thighs out. Quad father, all these things. So finding shorts is not easy. It's not easy to find shorts that fit. It's not easy to find things that are comfortable and move with me and have the liner inside that acts as boxer briefs, but is even more comfortable because it's not actually a part of the, you get it. It is bird dogs. 
Bird Dogs are gym shorts with a built-in silky soft inner liner that makes underwear obsolete. Ha! Obsolete! They also make the best pants that I've ever worn. When you put these shorts on, you're going to be like, hey, I understand way back in the day, way back in the day, they tried to make the bathing suits that had the thing that held your kit and caboodle together. They were trying to eliminate underwear so you didn't have to get your underwear wet when you jumped in the pool. Well, Bird Dogs came along, revolutionized it, and made the most comfortable thing ever. You don't have to put on underwear, and you can wear these shorts in the gym. You can wear them in the pool, and you can even wear them to an office meeting if you have to. They look damn good, and the pants are fantastic as well. Right now, you go to BirdDogs.com and enter promo code PAT, and they'll throw in a free pair of nunchucks. Yep, you heard it, nunchucks. You'll get an actual murder weapon along with your pair of bird dogs. That's birddogs.com, promo code PAT, and boom, free pair of nunchucks with your pair of bird dogs. You will not take these things off, I promise you. They are fantastic. I worked out on them today. I'll sleep in a pair tonight. You'll enjoy the hell out of them. Birddogs.com, promo code PAT. You get a free pair of nunchucks. Hi! Hello! This is McAfee and Hawk Sports Talk. Cannot wait to talk to our guest first. On my far, far, far left, AJ Hawk, <laughs> the man with one of the greatest jawlines in the history of jawlines. And in between us, a man who's in the HBCU Hall of Fame, a man who's now in the Colts Ring of Honor. He'll be in the NFL Hall of Fame momentarily. Ladies and gentlemen, Robert Mathis. Um, Robert, I, right before we went on air, I asked, have you and AJ ever met personally? I have not, personally. What do you think of it? You think he stinks at football or what? No, nah, he, was, he was a striker, so I can, I can appreciate a real striker dog on the field, so great appreciation, respect. AJ, what was that called? The Cobra? You guys called it? What was it? You use your head? He said he never got a concussion, but he just threw his <laughs> face into everything. Isn't that right? Oh, no. Kevin Green, he called it. Uh, it you always, everything started with a Cobra strike with Kevin Green when guys were rushing off the edge, head and hands. Oh, yeah. Eric Walden taught me that move. So it, it, it served me well. Eric Walden, he has a former Packer, came to the Colts. He used that move on a ref once, too. You remember that? That was <laughs> yeah. 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 It didn't end too well for me. Eric is one of my favorite humans of all time. Yeah. Hilarious, man. All oh, time. he's the man. He, he always coached, yeah. Kevin Green coached him up. They had a great relationship. Yeah, he, uh, I mean, he, what a talented dude. Like, I love playing with Ewald. He was always, like, what a good teammate, accountable. Like, he had a lot of fun, too, man. He was awesome. Hilarious. Oh, yeah. People <laughs> ask me who my, who, who the most funny human I've ever been around in the football. Eric Walden is my answer every single time. They're like, who's somebody that people wouldn't expect to be funny? I'm like, Eric Walden's one of the funniest motherfuckers I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> Just everything he said was funny because of his country accent, too, and then high pitch. I mean, he was, he was the man. Uh, let's talk about you, Robert. Robert's here uh, because... He just got announced into the Colts Ring of Honor. It was big for you, and I got the chance to see this both behind the scenes and whenever you're on the field. You wanted to be a Colt through and through. It felt like you were the depiction of what a Colt was for a long time. So getting announced to go into the Ring of Honor has to feel pretty fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. That's a big deal, though. Say some uh, grown, grown people words on here. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, it, was, it was very humbling. Uh, just to, to be able to go out on my own terms with one team for 14 seasons. So it was it was something that, I, you know, you don't sneeze at it. I, I'm very humbled by it, and uh, I'm very loyal to the shoot. I think I, I don't think that's a secret, and uh, I just can't wait, can't wait to get it done. 
Are you gonna give so us- you're, you're going in November. Do you know? Is anyone else? Well, no. There's how many people are in the Ring of Honor right now? Do you know? Uh, I want to say like I'm number seventeen. Hey, there's not a lot. Like I know in Green Bay, that thing is pretty well. That thing's pretty well filled up because Green Bay Packers have been around forever. You got to remember the Colts. There's a couple Baltimore Colts that are up there, but there the Ring of Honor was not something that was like used on a regular basis. It was like, okay, we'll wait until people really deserve it, and then whenever the Robert Mathis, Dwight Freeney, Peyton Manning, Dallas Clark, uh, Reg, Marv, Bob, that whole crew became the winningest decade in NFL history. Jim Mercer was like, oh, brother, we got to fill up the fucking <laughs> ring of honor. But you were coaching for the Colts last year, yeah. and Freeney won in. Mm-hmm. And I would assume, because you and Freeney became an absolute terror. Uh, what was 93, 98, bring the heat boulevard? Absolutely, yeah. You got it right. Yeah, bingo. I, didn't, right. I wanted to make sure I didn't fuck up the branding there. But mm-hmm. like, whenever, whenever you saw Freeney go in, and I assume that was a hell of a feeling for you as well. But then you look at all the other players. Did you think you were going to be the next one that went in, or were you not 100% sure? Uh, by that, by this point, I was like, I was sure at some point. I mean, I'm not going to trip on me going in now or later, just as long as I get in. That was my mindset. But uh, when Dwight went in, it was, it was special. It was surreal because, I mean, we did it together. We did it, brought, brought a lot of heat. And, uh... You know, killed a lot of quarterbacks together. So, <laughs> yeah, I was very happy for him. So it was it was a pleasure to watch watching him go in. Robert, I always tell Pat about guys that, especially outside rushers, if you have guys that complement each other well, and obviously you and Dwight Freeney, like your styles complemented each other well. Like, how do you did you think about that? Do you guys talk about it? How you would rush? Oh, absolutely. We always game plan. Either uh, draw up a lot of quarterback bait bait rushes and things like that. But what is that? Oh, well. So for people that don't know, because I think D-line is potentially something that not a lot of people learn about. Like Darius Butler and Antoine Bethea are launching a uh, podcast together, two great DBs. The, awesome. The, awesome. awesome dudes, yeah. too. Awesome dudes. Great D- defensive backs who were in the NFL a long time. But you look at TV, there's not a lot of people breaking down defensive backs. Like, there's not a lot of, Quarterbacks, you got a lot of that. Wide receivers, you got a lot of that. Running backs, you got a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Punters and kickers, there's none of that. That's why I knew there was a potential hole for that. But if you look at D-line and then in the secondary, there's not a lot of people that are breaking down like the hows and whys things are happening. And we're very much in a society now where people want to learn how and why things are happening and the ins and outs of it. What is like a bait rush or something like that? Okay. For example, we will say rock bait. That means the running back is on my side. He's going to chip me. The center is going to slide to Dwight. So, therefore, Dwight is going to run away from everybody <laughs> around the horn, and I'm going to run away from this running back. So, we're going to waste the running back and the center so they're not blocking anybody. So, I'm going to take an early inside move so the quarterback sees me do that, and he thinks he has an escape route to the outside, my outside shoulder. Now, Dwight Freeney comes around, separates him from the football. I scoop it. Everybody wins. <laughs> 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 See, that's like that's a level that's a level of football yeah. that I had no fucking yeah. idea was happening right there. Like, and you see those plays happen on Sundays, Mondays, Thursdays in America, Canada, Europe, wherever we're playing, Mexico, wherever right. you're playing. You see things like that. You're like, oh, that's just that's athletes making plays out there. It's like, no, actually, there was an entire chess setup to this entire thing <laughs> that was going on. Chess, not checkers. It's insane. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, that's when you watch it. I mean, Robert and Dwight are. You guys are, are rare. You're very unique. You guys can kind of do everything, but a lot of times you can't have 
a guy that's primarily like a bull rusher on both sides. Like one of them's got to be a speed guy. One of them's got to bull, make the quarterback step, either try to escape the pocket or step up. Like I saw that with uh, Kabir Bajabia-Miller when he was in Green Bay my first two or three years. Kabir and Aaron Campman. Campman's more of like a, a power bull type guy. Kabir will run the horn, and, and they set each other up beautifully. Like that's when I truly saw like, oh, okay, these guys are setting each other up the whole time, and they work mm-hmm. out perfectly together. Robert, Robert mm-hmm. when I talk to you, I'm going to talk this way because the camera's right here. Just know that I'm talking to you. I'm talking to your face on the screen. <laughs> right there, okay. So you were when you were drafted. Okay, everybody knows uh, you you started out in special teams. You were a kickoff stud there for a while. Then you kind of found a rhythm, and then you started taking over at pass rusher, not defensive end. Yeah, pass yeah, rusher. Check yourself. Yeah, get right. Yeah, <laughs> you're not a defensive end. You are a pass rusher. But whenever you started finding, was there people you watched? Because I don't think there was anybody like Robert Mathis before Robert Mathis at pass rush. Was there? Not a whole lot. I like to say uh, Dwight and myself, we kind of ushered in uh, the smaller, quicker guys. Uh, besides, I would say the only guy I could really think of was like Corey Moore, but he he wasn't around for you know a long time. But it was John Tierling. He wanted fast guys off the edge, and so whatever we did well, he allowed us to do it. So, and then that just that just he just let us play our brand of football. So and, that, and, they, and it worked out. Yeah, five, I'd say. Jesus. Hey Robert, I know you made the transition when Chuck Pagano came in. Didn't you make that transition from like a 4-3 DN to 3-4 outside backer? A lot of people think that's not a big deal, but there's not a whole lot of guys that can actually do that. Hey, we were just talking about this. We were literally just talking about this as soon as we came in there. I'm going to – first off, I love Chuck. (laughs) So now let me get into this. So (laughs) moving from defensive end, three-point stance to a two-point stance and seeing way too much, and now uh, about half the time you're telling me to drop – Go this way versus going that way to the quarterback. It was it was something I had to I had to wrap my mind around it. I had to get used to it. So that first year was a uh, teaching, learning, and you know all the above. But the second year I got I got used to it. Uh, learned my sight lines and learned how to make calls. Like as a DN, you're not making calls. You just go. But as an outside linebacker, you're giving calls. So now you can. Uh, I can identify for when the linebacker say, I gave the call, and the D-line said, I didn't hear anything. Like, <laughs> bullshit. You heard, you heard me. Give, I gave you the call, you know? <laughs> so, now nah, it was uh, – the 2013 was uh, statistically my biggest season of my career, 19 and a half sacks, and that was from as a Ooh. as an outside, oh. outside rush Ooh. linebacker. So, hey, I appreciate it. <laughs> Greg Anusky, hey, salute. Stakes on me. So, but uh, – just to be able to adjust on the fly and just kind of be humble enough to learn uh, to do something that you're not used to doing, man. You got a cigar? Oh, he's so you just you just gonna do that? On do you air? want a cigar? <laughs> Hell yeah! I want we one. got a bunch of cigars. Somebody yeah, yeah. here, grabbing a cigar right now. But uh, it was it was it was a great experience, and uh, it just worked out on, on either side. That OTAs was awesome to watch, though. <laughs> and those those OTAs <laughs> were so much no, fun. You got the, oh no. <laughs> that was so much fun. The amount of confusion, the amount of conversation that was taking place. Yeah. There was a lot of these mother. There was a lot of there was a lot of conversations happening by everybody. But that year, we had 
Free was only Free was getting 17 mil a year, I think that year, and everybody was talking about, oh, he's going to get cut, he's going to get cut. But Ursay was like, hey, Freeney's my guy. Robert Mathis is my guy. He had him. Freeney was on the sideline, first and second down mostly. You were now transitioning into an outside linebacker. I mean, there was a lot in to stick with it and to have that the ability to be like, hey, I will learn how to do this for the betterment of everything or moving forward. Like, that's not something that most superstars have. And I think that's why every human that ever played with you was like, hey, Robert Mathis is one of the realest dudes I've ever been around in my entire life. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was, like I said, it was something we had to get used to. We're, we, we both were used to hauling ass upfield towards the quarterback. Winning Super Bowl. Yeah, like, yeah. like, been to the top there, dude. Yeah, it. yeah. But, uh, Team, 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 you know, <laughs> when it's all said and done. Yeah, yeah I guess. Was there a reason why? Do you think, why do you think some guys can't make that transition? They're not athletic enough? They're not willing? What is it? No, I, I, I think it's the latter. They're just not willing. Yes, you, guys get stuck in their ways now. And I was one of them. I sat, I sat and toiled with the idea of like, man, I'm looking at this guy dropping in coverage a whole lot. And you're asking me to do the same thing, and I'm not – I don't get paid for that, <laughs> and so the arrogance and the ego kind of creeps in, and so that kind of blocks. It stunts a lot of. It stunts the growth of a lot of guys. Well, and a business sense of it, because there's incentives for. I assume for me, yeah. there's average incentives oh, and yeah. net incentives, and it's oh, like, yeah. okay, you want me to kick the ball shorter, but you're literally yeah. telling me you're going to pay me an extra two million dollars if I kick the ball further. There's oh, a little yeah. bit of a balance. I assume for defensive and outside linebackers, like if you get this many sacks, then we'll pay you an extra four million dollars. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to try to. Okay, I mean. <laughs> I will, but wait up. Yeah, that's a, that has to be a fine balance. And why yeah. did the second year in that scheme set you up to have nineteen and a half sacks? What was it about <clears throat> that scheme that made you like more of a weapon, baby, rushing the passer? Well, if for those that understand the three four or the, the under the under defense, we were four three, but we just stood up. So I was a Sam backer twenty twelve. Dwight was the rush backer, so the name kind of fits the bill. The rush backer rushes the quarterback more more times than the sound. So I had to – I said, okay, another funny story, Chuck, <laughs> Chuck Pagano. So I'm looking at film of the of the Ravens. So I'm looking at uh, Double J, J uh, Double J and Suggs. I said, okay, so who, who do you want me to – who do you want me to be? <laughs> okay, I want you to be Double J. Okay, and so Dwight is Suggs. Now, I know Suggs rushes the pass a, a lot. I said, okay. What did? How do you determine who who gets to play the rush and who gets to play the Sam? He's like, well, <laughs> my rush is my best pass rusher. So I said, okay. Hmm. Listen, listen, Robert. So, so 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 <laughs> let me get this straight. <laughs> so I'm just trying to get clarification. So you want me to play Sam linebacker? The white is your rush linebacker. And you said your reason for that is because your best rusher <laughs> is going to play rush. And so the arrogance in me, I was like, oh, okay. Oh, so this motherfucker just took a shot at me, right? <laughs> so, what? But no, but if anybody knows me, knows that I'll put Dwight against anybody all time as far as pass rusher. I think he's one of the top ever. So, no, you know what? I'll take that. I'm, I'm okay. Just make sure you call a lot of blitzes, uh, Greg Minuski. So, and we, we'll be okay. Just, I just need to get at least 15 good solid rushes a game. So, I'll be okay. But no, nah, that was a good funny story. Uh, I know Chuck remembers it, but uh, <laughs> those are things that you remember throughout your throughout your life. So you want you moved to rushbacker that next year whenever Freeney yeah, went on. So to, Dwight went on with the Chargers, and they moved me to the rushbacker, and they brought in Eric Walden. <laughs> uh, so he taught me the Cobra Strike technique, and so I started learning how to play the run a little better. 
uh, my second year in the uh, outside backer scheme. And uh, Iwal, he helped me a lot with that. That's awesome. Yeah. 19 and a half sacks is nuts. Yeah. Who, 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 you, you, you were a leader? Yeah, you were. Yeah, that, yeah, that year. And then there's Quinn, right? Didn't Quinn have like. He had 19. Yeah, because you two were rushing, right? You two yes, were racing. Right and we became the best of friends that year. You know, we kind of give each other a little, a, little, a little shit about it because I had a sack added on that I had to get checked by Elias, and that threw me ahead of him going into the last game of the season. And he was pass rushing like a madman. I'm watching him. And I'm like, just block his ass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we we have a lot of we have a lot of fun we a lot of jokes and uh, a lifetime friendship behind it. A lot of sex. Was that when he was on the other side of Chris Long? <laughs> yeah, they were they were humming. Jeez. Um, hey Rod, what was Pat like? What was it like having Pat on on your team? How annoying <laughs> was he at times? You know what? I, I always thought he was funny. It's just at the wrong time he was still funny. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I think I think that's a question you really got to ask Reggie Wayne. <laughs> oh. But I, I knew I knew from the jump. I'm not sure he told everybody this story, but I knew he was going to be something like a damn rock star in his post football career and I tried to buy in early. <laughs> he, he would not let, he thought I was joking when I was not. I said, "Look, let me hey, how do I do this? How do I get in on this? I know you're going to be something outside of football because you you his comedy, his, it just everything about him was just too funny. Everybody was cracking up and and all that type of stuff. So I like, I want to get in. I'm looking at an opportunity, man. <laughs> now he's a businessman now, but yeah. at that time, like it was. Uh, so in the wrestling business, a guy named Rusev, right? There's a guy named Rusev who was brought into Vince McMahon's uh, office, and he told the story the other day. And Vince McMahon said, "Hey, Rusev, you're going to be wrestling against Undertaker, which is like the biggest star of all time." And Rusev basically told Vince McMahon, "Like, oh yeah, okay, go fuck yourself." Like he thought he was joking, right? Like he, he didn't think he was serious. He like didn't take. It. He was like, "There's no way." That's kind of how I was whenever you said you were going to I'm like, "Hey, Robert, get the fuck out of here. Okay, I don't need your shit right now, Robert." All right, I was, I was serious. Well, there's still room, by the way. There's still time, but you are a businessman now. Mm -hmm. You're running these. Th AJ, this is one of the coolest things I've seen in a long time, mm -hmm. actually. He set up this, uh, it's called Gridiron Gang, and you started out as just pass rushers and D-line, but now you're evolving into all these things. It's like specialty training for these guys mm -hmm. who are college, high school, and pro. Right. And I love watching the business grow over there because you're a guy who had every single tool. Your handwork was great. You were able to power. You were able to spin. And now mm -hmm. you're kind of giving back to the game. I think this is a, this is a really good move by you. Yeah, it's something I enjoy. You know, if you know me, you know I just like to stick to what I know. Uh, as far I tried the coaching thing, uh, didn't it, it didn't fit me. It, it didn't. It, AJ, it just, he didn't enjoy no. the coaching uh, schedule. What part? <clears throat> yeah, what part oh, didn't man, fit you? The, co the coaching hours. It was it was yeah. brutal. So, <laughs> but uh, just being out there with the fellows, I was able to wean off the game by doing what I love, and that's teaching pass rush. And so now I, I just enjoy being out there so much that it's not a, it's not even a job to me. And uh, you got high school, grade school guys, and uh, you'll be amazed. A lot of a lot of them, they just don't know what's going on. They don't know how. To, they don't know what to do. So, and I, I was a little angry because a lot of coaches just weren't teaching it right. And you know, when it comes to pass rush, I'm 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 a little. I ain't know about it. I'm, if you're not doing it right, I'm, I'm going to let you know it. And so, I just this is my passion. And uh, my, my partner Dan Muir. And uh, now we have uh, Nick Hartwick. You know Dan? Dan was with yeah, the I played with, Dan, I played yeah, with Dan, Danny yeah, Greenback. Dan, Dan Muir. And we got Nick Hartwick, uh, former Chargers standout, Pro Bowl, all pro guy. He's he's leading the O-line charge. And uh, we got we got a good thing brewing over here, man, over in Westfield, Indiana. And so we got to 
we just got it going. And so anybody, grade school, long, all the way up to the pros, they want to get some uh, O-line, D-line, oh, pass rusher. And uh, pass, yeah, I was about pass to say, protector. I mean, that's unbelievable. Let me disrespecting the pass rusher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I, yeah, I was about to jump across the table on you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just come on out and I'll uh, reach out to us, and uh, we get it, we get it, get it going the right direction. Hey, Robert, you ever see those videos online? Every once in a while, they'll show like a clip. I think I've mentioned to Pat before of like a high school camp, and they'll, they'll be like, "Oh, and they'll, they'll act like this this oh, yeah. outside rusher killed a kid in a pass rush when all he did was bull rush them when they're not wearing helmets or pads." Like that. Yeah. How, for me, I'm like, all right, who's coaching these dudes and who's telling him this is a good job when you're bull rushing a guy with zero with no pads on and it's one on ones too. Yeah, uh, there's ah. that that unwritten rule that you don't bull rush when you don't have pads on, and uh, but long arm is not a bull rush. I know, I know <laughs> that you know that we can long arm, but no yeah. bull rushing, no putting your helmet under or whatever. But uh, yeah, I, I hate saying that because if when you're not in shoulder pads and in, in, in pads, period. Now you you got to let the skills kind of set the tone. It's about working on your skills, your timing, your hand to hand combat, things like that. It's not about trying to bull rush a guy that you know is not prepared for that. Hey, so skill not scheme. Dude. It's, it, yeah, we are the skill not scheme team. So hashtag hashtag skill not scheme. There you go. I see because <laughs> in every craft, by the way, that counts because even if you get dropped into a uh, pass rush uh, linebacker, a rush linebacker, mm-hmm. or you're a full time pass rush, as long as your skills are there, it doesn't matter where you're playing, yeah. what school, what strategy, what, anything like that, you're good to go. Yeah, and we came up with that because we always say whether it's a 4 3, a 3 4, a 3 3 stack, a 3 2 defense, if you have the skills, you can thrive in any, any scheme. And uh, I kind of well, just going just going from a four three with the coach for first nine years to my last five years in a in a three four, I've I've learned enough pass rush to be able to thrive. And so that's this this is something that I want to teach the younger guys. Don't don't just just curl up and die because you move to a different scheme. Like still get your shoot your uh, your tools sharpened, get your skills up because third down is is universal. We want four down guys. Seven guys, you get out the way with this this four, we got it. Let us go get it. And a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot, a yeah. lot. Hey, yeah, I'm glad you said that. Because the most important position in football outside quarterback is pass rusher. You follow the money trip. Franchise tags, follow the contracts. It is pass rusher. I challenge anybody to debate me on that. Hey, I, I won't. <laughs> Can't do it. I'll wait with my good mountain water. <laughs> <laughs> you guys train with knives like Aaron Donald did or? No, I ain't doing all that. <laughs> we uh, we put boxing gloves on and uh, we just got we do a lot of reps, uh, boxing MMA type style type uh, training. And uh, I did that a few years back early in my career, so it it really helped me. And uh, and I just try to incorporate it in all mm-hmm. my training along with uh, what John Tilling taught me. Your hand, JT, by the way, rest in peace. Right. What a legend of a human! Not the greatest D line coach of all time. Hey. Also, might be the most legendary human to ever coach in football in the history. The things that yeah. that guy was able to do with beer off the field was one of the most impressive. That's where he and I shared stories, in, right. which was very nice of him. But that uh, yeah. that crew, that def- that whole defensive line crew mm-hmm. underneath JT was like a, a brotherhood, a fraternity. It was. Uh, rest in peace to JT, right. a guy who has done a lot for the Colts that people probably didn't even know about that. Right. But whenever you get in there, you do a lot of hand stuff. 
Mm-hmm. It's a lot of handwork. When did you really start like honing in? You said you did some of the MMA's boxing stuff, but like the handwork, I feel like is almost the most important part of this whole thing. It is, and uh, I will say of my generation, Demarcus, we're kind of he kind of shed a lot of light because he was real good with his like doing the hand to hand during the, during his pass rushes. But man, I'm six feet. I was I played at six feet, two hundred thirty five pounds. Sometimes you just can't You're not going to be able To run around guys all the time You just can't spin on guys All the time They're sitting there Waiting on that So now you got to use Their weight against them If I got a, a 320 pound Offensive lineman Going a particular direction I'm going to keep him Going that direction I'm not going to try to Power him and do something That I'm not I'm going to hit him With precision strikes Not not. It's not about how hard You hit anybody It's about where you hit them And I think anybody In the uh, MMA world knows this Boxing world it's, You catch somebody Right on the chin He's gonna go to sleep You can punch him Right in the jaw He, 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 may, be, he may eat that But you catch him Right on that chin He's going to sleep And uh, as far as uh, uh, Pass rush play Strikes to the sternum con- Consistent strikes To the sternum Inside tit Outside tit You run the door open And uh and controlling the wrist. When did you learn that though? Like, who, yeah. Demarcus Ware brought that in, but then did you just have to like try these all in game action? No, I, I was I was watched. I, I watched them a lot. Oh, wait a fucking minute though. Hold on, <laughs> this just reminded me of you at practice, AJ. AJ, I want to tell yeah. you and show you a move that Robert Mathis did on poor fucking Anthony Costanzo oh. in in training camp. Okay, in training camp, <laughs> you were coming back from. Uh, this is after the Achilles, wasn't it? I believe. Yeah, it was, no, it was the it was 2013, the year before. Okay, right. so training camp happens. One on ones, first day of one on ones with pads, <laughs> offensive line, defensive line. Poor fucking Costanzo's out there. Okay, he's out there on an island all by himself. Robert hit him with, I think, a triple spin move. And fucking Cassandra does, like, the whiff into the sky thing. Oh. And Robert just walks in. I think you hit him with a boom, like a fake <laughs> thing, then another one, and then all the way back inside and just walked to basically the flag that was the quarterback like this. And Costanzo is over there motherfucking everything <laughs> that you could ever see in the history. So I think the precision strikes oh. do work. Yeah. I would assume that they do work. But there also has to be an incredible fear of the fact that you could get embarrassed out here on an island as yeah, well. Yeah, and it's, I, I'm, I'm, how did you, what you, how did you know that? What's that? About that move. How'd you remember that? That's, that's. Because well, he didn't have anything to do at practice. He was watching yeah. one-on-ones. It was fun to watch. <laughs> oh, whoa. AJ. Calm down over I did that. have says, nothing oh, I got going my, on that I got my six <laughs> minutes of work and then I'm going to hang preserve out. the leg. And anytime <laughs> they say there's one-on-ones happening, I did kind yeah. of mosey my way over there. Yeah, that's, so. that's impressive because most, you know, the kickers and punters they, and the long snappers, they, they're golfing by that time. See, not me. Yeah, yeah. Look at that. <laughs> man, you were committed, man. My golf game. You, you, you and the OG, the greatest of all time, AV. Vinny did. Vinny yeah. was not about that, by the way. <laughs> like uh, Stover came in there. You know, when Stover came in, whenever Vinny was hurt, that right. was my rookie year. Oh man, he was a little bit different. Right, he had a different, very yeah. different style of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he had a. He was very nice to me, but he had a different style about everything. Like the way he went about his every single day life, very successful. Vinny was just very different. Vinny was a football player that kicked the ball, right? right. So, right. getting a chance to kind of be with him, I think, was a very lucky situation for me. Like oh, very yeah. awesome. I love that dude. Yeah, me too. That's big bro right there. He struggled last year because he was fucking banged up. I'll be excited yeah, to see what he mean. does. Yeah, yeah, I'm rooting for him. That's my, that's that's big brother right there. One of the most competitive humans on earth. I don't yeah, know he if is. he'll ever stop. Probably won't. 
I don't think he will. I don't I, anticipate him stopping. Me neither. Like yeah. everybody's questioning whether or not he's going to come back and kick this upcoming year. I if I have not talked to him because I don't want to know because I don't have a filter and I speak into a microphone every day, so I don't want him to give me an information. I think he's back next year without a doubt. I think it's 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 a little bit of he he has an alpha male that top dog mentality. I'm not going out like that. Yeah, I'm I'm going to exhaust every opportunity I have to come back and and and, and just re- redeem myself. So. I, I think that's where he is right now. It just he doesn't have to because he's the greatest of all time, Hall of Famer. But I, I I understand, I understand. So I won't be mad if he if he did or, or didn't. Hey Pat, why don't you show Robert your your? Uh, you told me a couple of days ago on the show you have five pass rush moves. Why don't you stand up and give him a give him a shot and see well, what Robert him, thinks? I learned them mostly from. Hmm. You see it. He said he has a full <laughs> complement of five well, five you know, pass my rush moves. Can, yeah. My go to is. Obviously, I'll do a little dip. Oh, okay, okay, well, bye. Okay, got it. You, know, you see that? Okay. See the hand precision strike. Rip. Oh. Okay. Oh, okay. You're not really turning your body at all, though. I, there's not enough room on the stage. You know, I, I'm a little bit. You see these quads on the internet yesterday. I don't know if you saw them. There's a lot. You see that? You don't have to get skinny right, when you yeah. stay skinny. No, a lot of room. But the, the, yeah, Air, yeah. the Air Force Ones is not doing any justice for you right now. What do you mean? Yeah, you're slipping. And, you know, you got to have some good footwork and, and stability and gravity. You I will not stuff. take that Air Force One. These are my go-tos in the middle of everything. Uh, I also obviously have the bull rush hit. Oh, <laughs> oh, see that? See ya. See what about, I just yeah. did there? You about to mess up your hair? Don't do that. <laughs> no, I can't do that. Yeah. And then um, I also have the uh, swim. <laughs> Woo! See that? uh, That's Michael the right Phelps. move. You lift your arm up as high as you possibly see, can. Stay, stay right there. That is a violation because you're what you you're exposing your whole rib cage. No. <laughs> here, here. Oh, right here. Here. Excuse me. You just want to yeah. clear 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 the shoulder. That's you what I did want, back in my day when I was reduce rushing. blocking surface, man. Well, when I was rushing passers in the NFL, we were able to do this because the, the offensive line was still smoking. <laughs> <cigarettes>. <laughs> <laughs> that whole thing. And then obviously I have the spin move. Oh, oh my oh! God, Cyclone! That was actually the best one yet. Thank you. Oh, I'll take that. Thank you. And let's not forget about the ice pick. I will ice, bury yeah. an ice pick there right in the chest <laughs> of an offense. There you go. I'm, 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 do you know what that yeah. is, AJ? Ever heard of it? Yeah, I've heard it called other things, but yeah. No. So, so what? What? What do you? What have you heard? For do it again, Pat. Let the, me see. It's chop spin. Oh! 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 Yeah! There. Wow! You finished that nice. You finished yeah. that like in the neck. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Yeah, like you ice picked him in the neck, not in the, not in the rib cage. Well, precision shot, bro. Right in the yeah. chest. <laughs> right. Pat, I think you should yeah. add the fake spin. Oh. What do you say? Add the fake, fake spin. spin. Fake spin. No, it was a real spin. No, you should add, no, the add fake that spin. to the repertoire. Yeah, like add it. The fake spin, come back around. I don't yeah. know if I'm athletic enough to do that. Do you do you remember when Freeney was on Sports Science? Yeah. Oh. And he said that his uh, spin move was as fast as a uh, yeah. figure skater. Yeah, that what was yeah, that was morning. funny. That was pretty good. That was a rough morning. <laughs> we were all so pumped for Freeney to be on Sports Science. Here we go. He did the whole shoot, and then we watched it, and that scientist was like, "He's spinning as fast as a figure skater spins in the Olympics." And they got Freeney spinning, and a lady in a tutu spinning right next to him. I was like, ah, "This is tough for old Freeney." Yeah, that was that was that was an experience. How do you feel? And we're going to change the topic here. This is a serious topic. You just went into the HBCU Hall of Fame. Right. A lot of conversation right now about players potentially entertaining the thought of going to an HBCU school as opposed to a PWI, which is a predominantly white institution. Just learned mm-hmm. that yesterday from Darius Butler and Antoine Bethea. Uh, how do you feel about that? And what was your experience at Alabama a and It's the only experience, college experience I had. So it was 
that my college experience was second to none. Just that the atmosphere and um, but I will say as far as being people are just making assumptions that because of the level, it's not even just HBCU ball is just D two D D one double A what we used to call it that we didn't have the talent. We didn't have. A, B, and C to be able to compete with guys from the PWIs, the big, the Georgias, the, the Alabamas, these type schools. And so, I mean, it's always a chip on your shoulder. It just lets everybody know that. I mean, we play a good brand of football where we are too. And as far as the the, the current climate, I think it's more that's more of a form of uh, silent protest. And we just we're just trying to figure out, okay, when is it a good time to to be heard? Because it ultimately boils down to you're not you're not listening. So we need to figure out a way for to get your attention. So, and that's another way. And the main way to do that is to hit people in the pockets. And so that's ultimately how I see it. That'd be so interesting. That'd be because you prove your worth right there, right? It's like right. it's it's not proving your worth, but you're showcasing your worth. If if some big name basketball players, high school basketball players, instead of going to Duke, North Carolina, uh, or go to an HBCU school, mm-hmm. they're automa- that team is automatically probably going to get into March Madness. That right. team is going to have cameras on. It's going to have business. If you have five, six top players in the country doing that, I mean, there can be a real shift in in power. And I don't think a lot of people fully understand that. That are outside of the sports world. They're like, no, it only takes a you got in basketball and football it's gonna take a lot more but basketball for sure now make it make it i'm i'm a fan fan of it you know I'm, I, i'd root for it but i want it to be done with the right intention it's not doing it just i i don't know it's just you just have to do the, do things the right way you don't want to go out there just if a kid doesn't he doesn't really want to go to this school he's just doing it because he's made to it's not gonna work it has to bring it has to be a sense of pride and uh, understanding that if you don't respect us enough to hear our concerns and pleas, then you don't you don't deserve to have us around here making money for your institutions and you no know, things of that nature. And it's just just being hurt. Grambling didn't watch my film. Once <laughs> <laughs> I, I sent him two films, they never watched it mm-hmm. because that uh, I think it was Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, Grambling always played um, Southern. Yeah, Southern. Southern. It, it was always on mm-hmm. always on national TV. I saw it. I watched it. I thought Grambling had an incredible logo, yep. and the only Caucasian person on the entire team was always the kicker. So, <laughs> so whenever I was like, I'll, I'll, I'll send a tape over to Grambling for sure. Let's check it out. Never watched my film, AJ. Never watched my film, not once. I'm shocked. I'm shocked to hear that. But I wonder, Rob, what was, what's Tony Dungy like as a coach? He, he's, I see him on TV. He's like the, one of the most respected guys on the planet, mm-hmm. and I have so much respect for him. I wonder what he was like, like when he was in front of the team. With Coach Dungey, what you what you see is what you get. He wasn't he wasn't he wasn't any different off the camera. Matter of fact, I mean he's more of a he's a leader of men. Uh, he didn't just coach. He he taught you life lessons and stuff how to incorporate it to your to your your career, your life, your family, uh, and your friends. And um, yeah, he was a he was very religious with it aspect, but he didn't force religion on you. So. I consider him like he's the top head coach. He, hey, he's he's number one to me, and so I'm always. And a lot of the lessons he taught, no excuses, no explanations. I'd use that now, to to date. So uh, almost every day, actually. So, and he's just teaching you the value of not using excuses and uh, just get the job done. AJ, 
Tony Dungy, I got there after Tony Dungy. I was with Jim Caldwell his first year. But the the effects of Tony Dungy ran through that entire building for right. years and years. I, I've never seen anything like that. I mean, that guy was, mm-hmm. everybody talked about him. Yeah. He was. As advertised. Yeah, legit. He came <laughs> yes, on our show whenever the, um, it was a couple weeks ago. It was after Drew Brees. It was after Drew right. Brees' comments. So he was scheduled to come on our show the day after Drew Brees mm-hmm. made his comments. But he was already scheduled, so he didn't, I assume, because he works at NBC now, right? So, and Drew Brees supposed to work at NBC. It was just, so Tony Dungy came on, and the conversation we had was just like one that just, everybody <laughs> yeah. could have, it was, he's a powerful man. I'd never met him before that, yeah. though. That was my first time. Absolutely. Uh, and that was a classic Tony Dungy rebuke. He's not going to yell at you. He's not going to curse at you. He's not going to do any of the above. He's just going to come right down the line, right down the middle with it, uh, right or wrong or indifferent. I mean, he deserves the opportunity to right or wrong if you if you feel feel like he made a wrong, and let it be done. Yeah, you don't you don't write anybody off. You don't burn bridges. So that's classic Tony Dungy. Who's a teammate of yours that you thought <clears throat> this guy is just a different specimen of a human? For and, me, Peyton and, Manning, that dude was a robot. Yeah. <laughs> he was a complete different animal. I've never seen any human like him. I never will see another human. Just his, the way he, I mean, he ran shit. And we, everybody in that building knew that, that that's what Peyton was doing. I mean, it's just, he was somebody I never understood as a human. Yeah. I would say just, uh, I'd say Marvin Harrison. Because he never took practice off. And that's what we kind of learned you practice how you play. It, it went from Marv to Reggie to you know to myself, and so I just kind of learned how to be a pro in that manner. But R- Marvin Harrison would eat honey buns, donuts, ribs, buffalo wings, and all this bad stuff would not gain an ounce. He probably looks the exact same right now, but he would eat the worst out of everybody and go out and burn DBs to, to crisp. And so, like, I never understood that. He would be. He would come in. He won't say much, but he yet he was approachable. It was just like it was. He was just hard to figure out. But he was. He was a very cool OG, and it was like, man, how are you able to eat buffalo wings right before the game? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, how about this? We've talked about this a couple times. That food the night before games with the first regime, and then when the nutritionist got him. (laughs) I mean, it was a whole different world. I felt like I was—I didn't appreciate the first couple of years of my career enough whenever yeah. I was in it. Yeah. Wait, did they take away like ice cream and stuff on your Saturday night meals? Yes, they—they they snatched all of it. And it was, I was—we was about to protest that shit. <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing? What are we doing? It was a. There was a lot of conversations, AJ. I mean, there was because I was—I was the youngest of the people that came from both regimes, so I never really had. Like, for instance, my rookie year, whenever we decided to lose the last two games, OGs were not happy about Man, that decision. No. But I was too young. I, yeah. I was not able to make it. I was not allowed to have an opinion at that yeah. point. But that was something I remember a lot of the OGs being like, we have a chance to potentially be a part of history. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, granted, we lost yeah. to the Saints, anyway, yeah. which would have ultimately ended that. But that was a decision that was not yeah. well received in the locker room. I mean, hey, was, Pat, but it, was that decision, was it made with – like, did the coaches and players talk about it, or was it just, did it come from the top? No, that's from the top. <laughs> it was from the top. So, hmm. uh, Caldwell, Caldwell took a whole lot of heat over that one, but that was over his head. So, I remember, AJ, 
I was so confused on what the fuck was going on because that last game I had like a $1.5 million bonus on the line <laughs> and everybody everybody was having the time of their life on the sideline at that point because the first week against the Jets when they subbed everybody out and put everybody back in like Mighty Ducks line change basically right. <laughs> and everybody was like upset about it. The fans weren't happy obviously. Yeah, the we, player, got boot. we were 14 and 0. We got booed. Booed. The <laughs> fans were booed. Yeah, it was and I was still trying to figure out how to punt at that point and yeah. I had a lot on the line so then in the locker room during the week, the conversations are, are always like, man, why are we doing this? But then it got to Sunday where in Buffalo, a blizzard comes. You remember that fucking blizzard oh, came? Man. It was a foot and a half snow. Right. It was wild. I had the more money on the line on that game than I'd ever had in my entire life. And everybody that I was like friends with and hanging out with were all having like a preseason fucking <laughs> session on the <laughs> sideline. Peyton was throwing out. He had he threw out, I think, 15... Um, armbands that game a, a guy was just chilling i mean I, everybody that i talked to was just on the sideline chilling and like uh man it's colder i'm like yeah not as cold as it's gonna be if i don't get this fucking million and a half bucks can you guys please, please stay away from me but that was a decision that was i think still to this day oh, yeah. probably one that you guys look back on and go at 16 no would have been cool to be a part of yeah and you know and i'll just keep it 100 it was always trying to get that one up on the patriots we wanted to go for it and uh, kind of run the tables of the playoffs, you know, win a Super Bowl. Obviously, we lost to the Saints, but to that un- have an undefeated season when they fell short in the Super Bowl, it was you wanted, you just wanted that extra, you know, f you, you know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Is that why Tom Brady didn't become a Colt? You think? Man, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, you I mean, had a tweet that said some. Whenever the there was a conversation about him potentially coming, right. it was like I think you said like that would be a tough one. That would yeah. be a tough one to get over. And it's not. And it's not just rock. Just the the old rival aspect. It's just. Ugh, I just I, I just I can't wrap. I couldn't wrap my mind around that. You know, but uh, I think. Phil Rivers is, is, I personally think he's the better option because I feel like he he wants our Super Bowl. He wants his first Super Bowl, and he's hungry. And you can feel feel the energy that's that's that it, that he brought to the city. So, uh, trust me, I, I love I love Tom Brady. You know, I got to meet him like in, in, at the Pro Bowl or whatever. You hate to love him, just like I, at the time I hated to love Philip Rivers. <laughs> yeah, because you know you get in the game. These guys are highly competitive, and they're quarterbacks. So I hate quarterbacks. <laughs> but now Philip is my quarterback. So hey, rock on. But uh, I just feel like you know, Philip he brings the energy to the city, and uh, I think I think sky's the limit for this team. What about the the Patriots? There's a big Patriots fan in the office. I don't know if he's still he's is back. Connor here today. Yeah, he's right cropped up, isn't he, Robert? Yeah, he didn't. Connor's see here. So yeah. Robert, what do you think the the Patriots going to be like now that that Big Tom left town? I don't care. <laughs> yeah, they can actually go die. I don't care. <laughs> no, Robert. Yeah, that's how I feel. Do something. <laughs> no, yeah, okay. Do something crop top. No, no, I'm okay. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> I had this, um, I forget where we were. I forget where we were. We were somewhere. Somebody was saying something uh, to you, the crowd, like in the first or second row, was saying something about like, I think the one guy was so drunk, you did something. He said, hey, I'm going to kick 98's ass or something like that. And I, like, I like stopped. And I was on the sideline. Obviously, didn't have much to do. You was, and I turned around. And I was like, is that right? Like, is that really? Is, that what, is this going to happen? Like, I am pumped up about this. And then I started listening to this entire thing. You were potentially 
the most intimidating human I'd ever seen in my mm-hmm. entire life the first time I saw you. And I've told this story <laughs> before. You were jumping rope in the gym. You had these, the old school the headphones. The old school, the big joints. Yeah, you had the old school <laughs> headphones. On. And you just went, and I think you jump rope for, it might, it felt like it was 75 minutes straight. Like you just didn't even skip a beat. It was just like boom, 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 boom. And you didn't say much. You didn't talk to us, the rookie, like, because it was the entire rookie class. Mm-hmm. We were kind of getting shown around or whatever. And I was like, well, goddamn, who is that guy? And they're like, that's Robert Mathis. And I was like, all right, let me Google Robert Mathis. Oh, my fucking God. So then that was the moment where I was like, me and that guy are in, on the same team at this moment. I probably need to become much tougher here. But you yeah. were like the consummate teammate, like in the locker room, guy that would lift everybody up, come talk to everybody. Rookie year, I had a couple of bad games. You even were one of the people that came and talked to me. Like it was, I think you don't get enough credit for being, because you're normally a quiet guy. Right. In the locker room, you and Dwight Freeney kind of set the tone on how superstars should act amongst your your teammates how like why was is that how you always were or when you were young did you see somebody do that like what was that all about well i i never liked bullies per se so that, that always kind of i don't like guys that, that that mistreat other guys just because they can or they have the status to do that so i'm gonna treat a man like a man uh until you don't don't have my respect anymore so but i never just went went out just trying to you know, shit on anybody else. You know, we the same team, and I want to win. So, we have a rookie kicker. He's supposed to help us win. So, hey man, get your shit together. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, there was never a hate. And then we go get, grab a beer later. That old group, the hazing thing. I heard about other teams what they did. Yeah, you guys were not like like the the Colts were not. Were you guys like that at the Packers? Did you guys do any hazing or anything? Not at all. Yeah, nothing happened. Really. Yeah, Dungey didn't play that. He was like, no, uh, these guys are here to help us win. And we don't need any foolishness to kind of get derailed off off our mission. And and uh, Caldwell took that same that same approach. I think a die told me he was like, at some point we're gonna need one of you guys to make a play for us to win. And if we yeah. win, I'm happier. Everybody else is happier. So I don't know why we would want you to hate us right. by hazing you going into the season. Yeah, that's, that's good. <laughs> and it was a real it yeah. was a real conversation. I was like, yeah, why are because there was. There's photos coming out of people getting these n- terrible yeah, hair. I think Tebow's like mm-hmm. eyebrow got yeah, shaved yeah, the, and everything. The fryer cut, right? Yeah, and I was <laughs> like, man, I am so happy you guys don't do that to us. I am so happy. No, it's uh, the extent of it was was by bringing food on the plane and uh, yep. rookie, rookie dinner. We, we're go- we're gonna get you then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Mm-hmm. Those planes were awesome. That oh, first yeah. regime, that first group. Oh yeah, it was awesome. Wait, what? Cha- hey, what changed from the first regime to the second? How do Ryan, I describe everything? Ryan Griggs? <laughs> <laughs> I am not. I'm not going to say that, okay? Listen, I'm not. That was a bait by Robert, too, for me to go right there. That was 100% that. Yeah, I threw the oop. You didn't kiss. Yeah, but the, <laughs> the culture did change, though. Yeah. The culture completely changed. And I think that is something that gets talked about is how a winning culture is established. And it, that's not just the players or the coaches, right. by the way. That's the equipment managers. That's the athletic trainers. That's the front office. That's everybody being on. And there was just such a vast difference of the culture. Uh, and I think, I don't know, I, I, Grigson, it was his first time getting put in power, right? So I think he wanted to put his stamp on everything. And in doing so, it was just like he changed a lot of what was great about Indianapolis. And that that team feeling and environment, like those planes trip home, AJ. He No, they didn't do tour at all either. They did no tour at all. Ho, ho, ho. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, well, never, I've never had one. Not, never had a shot. Are you, are you serious? Yeah, when I, I got to Cincinnati my 10th year, and they all 
looked at me the same way. Like when they were lining up the first game, like, no, nah, man, I never had it. I don't, I don't know. It's not my – they didn't do it in Green Bay. <laughs> <laughs> Think about how good he would have been. You probably could have played 20 years. <laughs> I think my knee would have felt much better. Having no cartilage at Tordal could have helped. Ain't no coulda. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just keep in mind, Tuesday morning. <laughs> oh, it's coming. Yeah. The um, But those plane rides home, he said he didn't party that hard on the plane rides home either. But that, Man. that those were some of the best times I've ever been a part of. Because you got a lot of people yeah. that probably don't have that good of a time anymore, right? They're, they all got families. They're all dedicated to their craft. Yeah. But those trips home, you're kind of you stuck. It, yeah. And it's just like everybody had a blast. Yeah. Have a nice adult beverage and just... Especially after a win, man, it's just it's just no better feeling. And those are the things that you you miss when you retire from the game. That locker room dynamic and those those playing rides back, I, man, you miss those. And you just having fun uh, and just talking about everything across the board. And you just just having a good old time, man. That stuff never gets talked about, AJ. Yeah. The culture. How, how did how did Greeks and kind of. How did Grigson change that? So he wanna see. He does. He wants to see. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm curious. I mean, you. This well, is a public knowledge. First of all, I mean, so, like, so you cut everybody. Do? You still had football left. Yeah. So let's get to hell. And let's get everybody out of here. I got a text. Yeah. Joseph had died. Text me. and said, "Don't answer your phone. They're cutting everybody." I was like, "Okay, that is hilarious." Thing. Yeah. It was real though. Like they were. They got rid of everybody, and then it was almost. Oh, they painted over the walls. They painted over yeah. all of our history. I was. I was very salty at that. That was very salty at that. So it was a it was a mural of basically Colts heritage, just all the just the, the Super Bowl wins, Baltimore, just, the, the, just Johnny Unitas, Peyton Manning, Edrin James, just and they just he painted over that because I but why I don't know I don't know still to this day but that rubbed me the wrong way but at the same time I'm trying to be a you know team guy but I kind of ask like okay what was the purpose of that man. The answer I got, I, I wasn't satisfied with it, but I just left it alone. So, and they were trying. The, there was a couple of speeches that were like, "We're trying to change the culture here," because we just went two and fourteen. It was like, "Yeah, but if you just look one year before that, you see like Super Bowl. Yeah, you looked just one year before about. that. It was the winningest decade right. in NFL history. So it was like, I don't know if the two and fourteen year kind of. I don't, a lot of people just acted as if that two and fourteen year was a normal thing for the Indianapolis Colts, and then the people that stuck around. It was just, and then he brought in a lot of free agents who didn't really. I don't know. It just whenever you just bring in a lot of people that don't love the team right. that you're on yet. It may, I'm not saying that they won't at some point, but it was just like a turnover of the entire roster, the building, everything just gets turned over, and you kind of just. If I'm not mistaken, uh, the guy that he said was too old is still playing. Antoine Bethea, <laughs> that he chose Laron Landry over. Yeah, now AB, yeah. by the way. And if you know me, I don't bite my tongue. I'm going to say I'll say what needs to be said, but that was a, 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 a terrible decision. That was a very bad decision, both for the field and the locker room, by the way. Right. Because AB was one of like the leaders of the locker room. Right. So whenever those decisions get made, you can see how some people get a little. And then whenever you get a bunch of people that come in there that don't know any better about what the Colts are, and then they start looking at people that haven't been around. It's just a, It was a very... It just everything got flipped, and it, I guess that's going to happen with transition always. But that's that thing, that special ingredient that that first team had. You you can't replicate it, but you can right. get rid of it. Is what I learned. <laughs> I learned that you can you can get rid of it. Right, I'm, and I'm happy that uh, I feel like we landed on our feet now. You know, got Frank Wright and Chris Ballard. Ballard is a baby. He's a baby Polian. That's what that's what I call him. Uh, he goes about it the same way, building the teams uh, through the draft, and you and you add in key pieces because you you've, you've done your homework on them. So our scouting department, they they do a very extensive job of of 
knowing guys before they they sign anybody outside of uh the guys being homegrown. So I, I'm very encouraged about the future for the coach now. Have you worked or met uh, with DeForest at all? I have not. I'm I'm itching to work with him. I, he's like six foot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's a dog, man. So I, you know, I, I watched him. I watched his work, what he did in San Francisco. So I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to work with him. Hey, well, you guys went two and fourteen, wasn't that the year Peyton got hurt? Oh yeah. Oh shit. It, it was the day of the cuts. I forgot that it was announced that Peyton was going to be out the day of the cut to the fifty-three man roster. Bill Polian just told me that story. The only thing I really remember that whole thing was I was summoned to the training room. I was summoned to the training room by Peyton. Mm -hmm. And uh, I go down there, and I walk in this back room, and it's him and Aaron Burrill, and he's got all these wires coming out of him. And I was like, well, this isn't. This obviously isn't great. And it was at that moment I realized that I did not work hard enough in the offseason <laughs> for how much I was going to be punting, it appeared. But we all mm -hmm. kind of found out late about that. that. That was a very late, late thing to find out about. The lesson I learned from that is that anybody can get it. I never in my wildest dreams thought you Peyton would, would be released. Cut? I, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he yeah, said. Cut. He, yeah, so I never, it's just like, wow. Anybody can be replaced. And so that was a very valuable lesson that I, I pass on to these young, young guys. You can come in, the second you walk in this building, it's the very second they're trying to replace you by younger and cheaper. And I've said this to their face in the locker room or with the front office and just I'm just being real. That's, that's that's the business, the nature of the business. Wow. Yeah. Well, why? But why do they feel like you have to blow the team up going two and fourteen out just a year removed from the Super Bowl because your starting question. Hall of Fame quarterback got hurt? Shit. Ask them. I don't <laughs> <know>. <laughs> hey, dude, that's I a no great clue. question. Yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of that because now we talked to Bill Polian the other day, and he said that him and Peyton going into that had an agreement they're going to do four more years together, they're going to retire together. Uh, he's Bill Polian told Peyton, I'm going to have to draft your successor. Successor or successor? Either. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. successor, though. He said, I'm going to have to draft your successor at some point. Mm -hmm. So if that 2-14 and 14 year happens, and then Jim Mercer asked him the day before the final game, which quarterback would you take? Bill Polian says, I would take Andrew Luck. Even, but if we end up at 2 and we get RG3, both good options. Uh, yeah. I don't know how that would have went with Andrew Luck or Andrew Luck. Come on, man. <laughs> but the, I think we all knew that. Yeah, but I think, but I think Bill Polian's plan was to potentially do a Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre right, right. with Peyton and Andrew. And I think for Andrew, that would have helped out so much because on the field, Andrew was unbelievable. His rookie right. year, unbelievable. He was a good quarterback. But if he could have saw how Peyton operated off the field, I think right. that would have helped Andrew right. immensely through this entire thing. Yeah. So you're not going to finish the story? What's that? Of why why it didn't happen. Well, then they fired Bill Polian, and then they cut everybody in there. Oh, yeah. What were you going to say? That. <laughs> <laughs> no, you were, yeah, you were trying to alley you right yeah. back in Yeah, yeah, okay. The ball got tossed back up yeah. in the air. Uh, but that, the Andrew Luck era was an interesting one because, man, was. he was so good, and we all knew it. We all knew we had a guy as soon as he got in there. And there there goes the anger again, like the, 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 the importance of O-line protection. You, we have it now. You see the Dallas Cowboys, uh, all these these units that have solid, I mean, just, just dominant O-line play. Uh, if Andrew Luck had Quentin Nelson, I, you know, because you know, he had Costanzo, but if he'd had Quentin Nelson, uh, Kelly, all, all the, if he, Quentin you know, changed Costanzo, by the way. Yeah. Costanzo so, became a different player once Quentin Nelson got there. Hey, man, 
Quentin Nelson, that's my favorite player on that team. Like he's a he's a dog. Yeah, not scary. I like. Yeah, <laughs> he's he a will dog. Go. Yeah. What when you have to face off against a Quentin Nelson, AJ? What is the the mental preparation there? Like, okay, I got this guy that they call uh, Earl Gray because he teabags people. Like, is there <laughs> is there a thought in that entire thing? I mean, stay away from him. Try not to be around <laughs> that dude. <laughs> because he's the type of guy too. You try to come downhill and. And shock him like, yeah, yeah good luck. Like that, it's not going to go he well. Wants, for me. He, that's what he wants. You do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're going to pay the piper for that. One. <laughs> <laughs> Who's an offensive lineman that gave you problems? Oh, uh, the the toughest I ever. It was Walter Jones, Seattle Seahawks. He was a he was a. Did man. you hear he knocked uh, Hasselbeck out? <laughs> no. There's a story that just circled the internet like last year. So I guess there was something where Walter Jones said that I have to smack Matt Hasselbeck in the face for something happened at training camp in his dorm room. Smacked him in the face night night. He, he slept him. Starting quarterback. Oh. <laughs> Starting quarterback. Starting quarterback. Yeah. Oh. See, there's a situation I wish I was at. Yeah. Like there's something I think I would have really oh, thrived. Yeah. I'm gonna text Matt after this. Oh yeah, his story went out there. His story went out there. But that guy was he was athletic, right? Is it because for you, what gave you the most problems? Like the guys that were super athletic or or oh, it was more. What, well, it was uh, Walter Jones and Joe, Joe Thomas. They were just fundamentally sound. So when you have O-linemen that make you have to go through them to get to the quarterback, those are the guys that give you problems. They're not going to take a lot of fakes, a lot of setup moves and all this. They just, no, you have to go through me to get to him. And a lot of times the ball is gone by the time you get by these guys. So, yeah, they gave me the most problems. Are those, are those big tackles that are that good, are they just super patient too and make like – and not they're going to jump out there and try to like they don't freak out they just in their kick slide they seem very very comfortable and just letting you do your thing that was joe thomas all day he just he's going to take his his kick step kick step and just wait on you every single snap uh he's not going to he's not going to take any baits any fakes any like head fakes none of that stuff so you really if you're going to be him you got to earn it so you really have to fool him if to make him think you're about to do a power move and then you give him a quick swipe or something like that but the old linemen that are that are solid in their fundamentals, those are the toughest ones to beat. When you go into that game against Joe Thomas, I assume there's a game plan of some sort, like early I'm going to hit with this, then I'm going to do this, then potentially get this. Is that how that works, or what is the thought going into it? When you got uh, old tackles of his caliber, you want I would hit him with a game early just to instill that. So game, man, man. Go ahead, go ahead. Like a game, like a, a two-man twist game. So I would run like a quick ET, which is a defensive end, in first tackle wrap. And then now the next time I will go kind of sit him down, run right at him, so he thinks that's the it's a, it's another game, and then do a quick outside move to shorten the corner for myself. But it's all about just rock, paper, scissoring, yeah. out thinking him. Shoot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> See, I didn't know yeah. that until watching you guys work, like mm-hmm. the amount of game planning that goes into yeah. this one-on-one matchup. Well, you got to know. What's what's his weakness and what's his strength? And just like you have to know yours as well. If O lineman shut me out the last week, guess what? I'm gonna get the same thing this week that the guy just did last. So I have to know my own weaknesses as well. Wow. What about it's, any backs? You got any backs that just annoyed you that always seemed to chip you harder than others? Anybody that played for Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> we got uh, Fred Taylor and Maurice Jones Drew. They, I think they, I think it was personal with them, man. They just didn't like. They just didn't like the coach, man. <laughs> Fred Taylor, he he depleted me something awful on a chip block. I had to get a surgery in that offseason. Like he 
I had a road to, uh, Shit I don't know What the hell <laughs> But that was my first time Ever getting chipped and I'm a young player. I think I'm winning around the edge. And he's for those that don't know what sat. a chip is. For those when the running backs, tight end, yeah, running, running backs back. and tight ends. I call it. I call it bitch block. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a hit and run. They're gonna hit you. Boom. They're gonna sit you down, and then they're gonna go go off on their routes. And so he did that. I I had no clue. I'm just running around the corner like a young dumbass. <laughs> he sat me down. He depleted me, and I got up. <laughs> I like man, who the hell hit me? You know, <laughs> and so I had to get a shoulder surgery after that. And so from that point on, every time a running back is aligned to my side, the white learned early. I'm looking, and it kind of makes you a little timid to get in your rush. But like I said, that's that's another mental, that's another chess move. So you have to learn how to adjust to it because we got a lot of that. And that's when you would go back to the beginning of this conversation where mm-hmm. if that guy's coming for me, I'm just going to go ahead and yeah, run. I'm going to take an inside move because I know the center is going to the white. Oh, because the running back came to your side, so that right. means they can send the extra guy so to that side. Running back, offensive tackle, guard, center, guard, tackle. That's three on two, both sides. Ha! Ha! <laughs> you see that, AJ? I love watching you learn football, Pat. It's awesome. <laughs> I to see it. Hey, man, I got the moves already. We already saw that I had the moves. Yeah. Now that you I got, got the kick men- slide too. Why don't yeah. you do – actually, you always are showcasing your kick slide and say you'll do it to anybody. Why don't you I'm busy, man. I think, I think today the, the, the kick pass is busy. <laughs> well, you walked 142 floors yesterday. Yeah. The legs. I, I've been doing 284 floors on the Stairmaster the last two days, Robert. Uh, How about that's that? That's impressive. You've seen me at some fat levels. I, yeah. I'm getting down in shape now at this point. <laughs> hey, I love it, man. There was one day uh, I came back from uh, a good offseason. I had a good offseason. <laughs> It was an enjoyable one. <laughs> and I'm sitting down at the locker, you know, and my gut, I think, is just hanging over potentially both of my towel sides there. And uh, I'm, I'm sitting there about either to go to the shower, I just got done with the shower, and all I hear is, slaw! And I, I, I look back. I look back, and it was Robert. He goes, eh, and he just walks away. And I was like, uh, yeah, we got to start running. We got to maybe put three towels on whenever we get out of here. Slow. Slow. <laughs> it was awesome. Uh, you have anything else for Robert, AJ? I don't know. I don't, not really, man. I what appreciate the time, you time man. Uh, Say what now? When was the last time you saw your Super Bowl ring, AJ? And when was the last time you saw your Super Bowl ring? I have it in a, in a little case at home. So I mean, do you see it or is it just like kinda... no? It's not. It's not on display. I just. I just have it. I don't actively look at it. You know. I, just, I got it. It's, it's, it's at home. That, shit, it's at home. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it though in years. How yeah. about you, AJ? You wear your. You wear yours a lot. I think AJ wears. Yeah, I'm too, shocked AJ. I'm not wearing it right now. No, mine's mine's in a, a wall safe in my closet. Oh, <laughs> can't wear them. We got that AFC Championship ring. Bailey's got the code. After that Super Bowl, we had yeah, that AFC Championship. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even like we're not even allowed to talk about yeah. having that. I, it's a big ass fucking ring too. It's, it's as big second a, place ring. Yeah, can't can't wear it. We can never wear it. But it was a an entire ring yeah. ceremony. You got the uh, banner too. Oh, by the way, that banner caused us a lot of shit. Man. We hey, we did not hang any of those banners. I mean, please get off of our ass. I'll, stu- I'll still get tweets about it. <laughs> I didn't do it. I know. Oh shit. Uh, Robert, I appreciate you for stopping man, by. Man, we got to do this again. This was fun, man. You you guys made my day with this. No, you made mm-hmm. our day. Yeah. We literally, this is a great mm-hmm. conversation. Thanks for stopping by. Oh. Congrats on the Colts Ring of Honor. That is well, well, well deserved. Yeah, yeah. Robert. Yeah. 
Zito did a standing up for you. Nobody else did. You should remember that. The no, the New England guy did not stand up. He actually yeah, didn't clap. He's, he's so. No, I clap. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, slow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, AJ, what do you got this weekend, man? Anything? I'm heading out of town in a couple of days, man. So next week I'll be remote for the show. Is Tahoe next week? No, Tahoe's not till July something. We're going on a family vacation. Oh, nice. That's wow. nice. Wow. Yeah, nice. I don't know where I'll be, Pat. I might be holed up in a, a closet again for the show next <laughs> week. I got to see what the internet situation's like once I get there. Robert, do you know mm-hmm. that A.J. Hawk signed for uh, $250 million when he was drafted fifth overall to the Packers? I believe it. <laughs> he deserved it. <laughs> hey, if you get it, you earned it. Hey, you are worth exactly yeah. what somebody's hey, willing to pay you. Shit. Yeah. I was uh, they overpaid, they underpaid. No. Nope. No. They paid exactly what they were willing to pay. Give it. <laughs> uh, do you guys have anything for Robert? Nobody. Oh, well, yeah, I do. What's up with this water? Do you like the water? Oh, great I like the water. It, it, I mean, I, I, I don't want people to think I'm drinking beer on the air. This is water. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I had to do the same thing, and I own yeah. what We also show the people that we did give you a cigar. Yeah. Yeah, they don't believe that. Yeah, I'm going to take this. I'm not- <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I was going to ask, is there a, a player that you most read, like a, a pass rusher in today's game that you most respect their game? Von Miller. Oh, mm. Von Miller. He's, he's the, smooth. He's, yeah, he's the best edge rusher in the game to me. Aaron Donald inside. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's a lot of guys. And uh, Chandler Jones. See, see, I can't just name one guy. Yeah, Chandler yeah. Jones, Khalil Mack, Von Miller, Aaron T. Donald. T.J. Watt. <laughs> yeah, T.J. Yeah, T. Watt, jo- uh, Joey Bosa. Uh, man, it's a lot of guys. It's a lot of JJ Watt. Shit, it's a lot of dogs. <laughs> <in there>. TJ <laughs> so, Watt, TJ Watt, and just what's the other Bosa? The baby Nick Bosa. Joey. Nick, Nick, yeah, Nick. This is man. This you can't name one guy. But Von Miller, I'm a huge fan of his game. How about Lamar Jack? What do you do to Lamar Jackson? This is Justin Houston, my guy. Oh yeah, you yeah. know what's Justin the, Houston's your guy? Yeah, man, yeah. But me too. Man. We talking is about he the D line for the Yeah, I'm talking about quarterback. No, because listen, <laughs> look what you just did right there. You just listed off probably 15 to 20 great pass rushers, right? right? And that's because the game changed so much with the rules that become a passing game. Right. Now, if you look at the Ravens, they're going they're going old school now. We got three tight ends, we got Lamar on the ground. Yeah. He's still throwing it. How yeah. like if you're a pass rusher in that game, what is the mindset? Like I just got to keep the edge here, no edge, no like no, don't say that. No, is no chance. Do not, don't say that shit. Yeah. So what? Now what, dude? Yeah, so uh, what? Now what? Keep chopping with, uh, wood, bro. So with quarterbacks like that, him and Deshaun Watson, you gotta run a lot of trap games. You have to bait him into a certain place. You can rush four guys and then have a fifth guy that that's a spy linebacker, and uh, you flood one area and funnel him to the, to, the, to this particular area and have your spy guy go get him. So the next time, now. Your four down four guys can go rushing all of that, and he's not so hesitant to leave that pocket because he's expecting a spy guy. You think defense coordinators going to figure him out? Yeah, I do. I mean, they they figured out Mike Vick. <laughs> now Lamar is doing the same exact thing to professional athletes that Michael Vick was doing, though. Yeah, I mean, I that's we, we ran thing. trap games, quarterback trap games, and uh, Michael Vick was left-handed, so it was me coming off the left side, and Dwight was go do the up and under. So Lamar Jackson, he's right-handed. So I will go up and under, and they will run, run around a horn. So it's it's a it's a lot. You can it can be done. You can be neutralized. Trust me on that. Yeah, you I can. I got a whole book of it. John Trillink got taught us right. You hate quarterbacks. I do. <laughs> <laughs> nothing personal. 
Robert, isn't the hardest thing, though, when you're trying to run those trap games is finding four guys that are going to be that disciplined all game? True. But There's always usually, like, if yeah. one guy peaks or goes inside when he's supposed to wrap or something, like, it, it happens, and it usually happens at the worst time. Uh, yeah, the very, very true, because we lost to the, the Eagles when Vic was playing, when a guy took, he peaked, and then Vic got out. Game over. Is that when McCoy was there, too? Oh, Shady, I think so. That I first, he so. had a run. We had the, we had the, the yeah. helmets. Yeah, that was my first game back after suspension, by the way. Uh, crew it. Big crew it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, when guys do that, they play, they just, they don't stick to the script and be, and play me ball. You, you, you got to get in their face. How important is that? Everybody being on a string. They always talk about that. Oh, tied like, to a string. Yeah. It's very important because one guy that gets out of his gap, you, now it opens up like the Red Sea. That that middle of the field will open up, and a quarterback that's like Lamar, he it's it's gone. It's, it's six points, so everybody has to rush in sync. It's almost like dancing together, and that's the 49ers did that uh, to perfection last year. So I'm happy to have one to pluck one of their guys, and uh, just uh, instill oh, yeah. just the importance of rushing, team rush, rushing as a team, as a unit. You can, one guy just don't do it. One guy may get all the sacks or whatever, but. It, the other three guys are just as important because they hell they help set it up. Hey, cheers to you, man. Yeah, I don't have it. I need another one. <laughs> it's water. I know. Don't it, get too water. drunk on People. water over there, right. Robert. Ice cold yeah. water. At that. Hey, uh, New England Patriot has a fan. Uh, yeah, for you. Uh, Robert, just don't smack me. But uh, is there any other sports you played growing up aside from football? Because uh, I know AJ. I'm pretty sure he didn't do anything else. <laughs> Oh, All right, Connor. That doesn't even deserve a response, Connor. Uh, it was shot put in discus in high school, but I, it was just just so I can go on the track and field trips. Oh, I, I was, what's going I on there? I see what you're doing there. I see. What yeah, you're that was about it. That was the extent of it. Man, where do you come from? Zone Six, East Atlanta, Georgia, McNair High School, Boulder Crest. Okay, so I went to high school with Gucci Mane. Oh, it's no, Bitch, I might be. No, it's funny. Yeah, it was, it's, it's a funny story. I always tell everybody. Yeah, yeah. He and I went to, went to high school together. Really? Yeah. He he's yoked up right now. Yeah. He came out of jail. Man, yeah. He he's a totally different person. <laughs> so describe because I knew you were from Zone Six, and then I think Pac Man is he's West Side. That's Zone One. Zone yes. Three. Yeah. So what is the what is the descri- like? Is Police zone precincts. Gotcha. So size of towns, stuff like that. Yeah, that's about, that's about it. Hey, Atlanta right now, interesting. Place. Yeah, it's, it's 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 something else down there. The whole country, I guess, is kind of in a, in an interesting spot. But Atlanta's been showcased here through. So Killer Mike, mm-hmm. that speech he gave, mm-hmm. it was incredible. Yeah, it's just a real funky time we in right now. So come on, America, let's get it together. Mm-hmm. Shit, respect one another, and this just just keep it moving, keep it breezy. Hey, we can all dance together. Yeah, we can dance together. Yeah. Know, pop, think, lock, pop lock a little or something. You know? hey, <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, HBCU Hall of Famer, Colts Ring of Honor member, future NFL Hall of Famer, the strip sack king. Ladies, it should be a stat. Quarterback strip sacks are still not an official stat. Roger Goodell. Roger Goodell. Hey, Roger Goodell, you're on a big like, hey, let's make things right tour. Roger Goodell. <laughs> make it make it a stat. Ladies and gentlemen, strip sack king, Robert Mathis. Thank yeah! you. Yeah! And that's the show. The
sports talk show on the internet from one to two Eastern Standard Time. So come on now. AJ, great show laid by you, Buck. Oh, yeah. It's McAfee and Hulk. It's McAfee and Hulk sports talk. AJ used to tackle quarterbacks and he's a no, no, spell no, kind of guy. That's the butter of the ticket for the 2010 Kicking piss missiles to the sky It's McAfee and Hulk It's McAfee and Hulk Sports Talk It's McAfee and Hulk Sports Talk Sorry for interrupting this <laughs> fabulous conversation. I mean, we were really talking good. Mm-hmm. Huh? Oh, yeah. Hey, I was proud of what we were talking yeah, great stuff. I mean, you're not going to hear that anywhere else. I was like, you know what? Those guys right there, the way they're talking, good. You know? I Re- hear you. Really good. Um, with the ever-increasing number of makes of cars, you know? Mm-hmm. You got Fiat. Sure. Kia. Yeah. Hyundai. Yep. Honda. Mm-hmm. Jeep. Yeah. GM. Yeah. Yuka. No, I miss it. Chevrolet. Chevy. Ford. Yeah. Cadillac. list goes on and on. Genesis. Uh, Eagle. Lincoln, Saturn, Ferrari, Tesla, Lamborghini, Audi, uh, Volvo, Beamer, <laughs> Mercedes. Did you already use that? No, but I was just in Germany, though. That's like in, in my head. I couldn't. Maserati. Uh, Go to Italy. Ferrari, Lambo. Anyways, there is a never ending number of car mix these days and models now let's go pacifica <laughs> civic <laughs> wrangler camry yukon escalade sport that's <laughs> done i'm done it is now impossible to stock all the parts you could potentially need for a car in a traditional chain storefront why endure the often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning excuse me is your car the odyssey lx px dx ox or ex it's like i don't know i fucking bought it two years ago they're like well what type of thing is this it's kind of an intimidating thing because you feel like an idiot because you don't know every single thing about your car which is what the people at the chain storefront need and all they're going to do is type it into their little computer, and they're only going to be able to offer you whatever they have in the store. And that's why Rock Auto is a very RockAuto.com is a very different operation. They have everything your car could potentially need, and it's very easy to utilize. RockAuto.com is a family business business serving auto part customers online for over twenty years. Go to RockAuto.com and shop for auto and body parts from hundreds and hundreds of manufacturers they have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps motor oil and even new carpet for your damn car everything you could possibly need rockauto.com has your traditional chain storefront just can't have everything that they have at rockauto.com best of all prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals as do-it-yourselfers why spend up to twice as much for the same damn Parts. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write McAfee in there. Hey, how'd you hear about us, Box? So they know that we sent you. That's right, McAfee in there. Hey, how'd you find out about us, Box? So that they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car could ever need. Right now at rockauto.com. 
There's a lot of things still cooking between the MLB and the MLBPA. And I'll tell you what, none of it seems good. They seem to have taken a step forward because at Rob Manfred's request, at the commissioner of the league's request, he and Tony Clark spoke in Phoenix last week for the first time in however long in the middle of this public drama. They had a conversation. Rob Manfred said that he reiterated the outline to Tony Clark, which, by the way, any good negotiation is not going to say that one person's telling the other person how it goes, how it is, do this. It's just getting uglier and uglier. And to discuss with us the MLB, the NHL, the NBA, the MLB, and everything that's happening right now. And if you follow his Twitter, he says, hey, the business of sports always wins in the end. Science can tell you whatever. The league can tell you whatever. The players can tell you whatever. But at the end of the day, the business of sports is always the focal point that is going to get something done. Ladies and gentlemen, the host of the Business of Sports podcast, Andrew Brandt. Yeah! boy. Attaboy, Andrew. Hey, Pat. Great to be with you. I can't thank you enough for joining us. Let's get right into it. Rob Manfred has handled this like an absolute buffoon. Do you agree? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's always the blame is going to go with the owners and these kind of things because it's their game. They're taking the risk. They look at it as the players need to share our pain. We have a lot of pain coming up because of no fans in the seats. Let's start back at the agreement in March, Pat, because that's I'm a lawyer. I've read this agreement. You could argue both ways, which means either bad lawyering or good lawyering. <laughs> because you can read it as the players get pro-rated pay. Or you can read it as the owners only agree to this if they're fans in the seats. Mm. And this is where it all stems from. So they've had the back and forth. It's been contentious. And now it looks like the owners are kind of running the clock. So the most they can play just physically to get it done by the end of October is 60 games. So that's where we are right now. But listen, the players understand they have a little leverage here. They, if, if he was going to impose the season, he would have done that already. The only way he imposes the season is he doesn't give them, he doesn't get the waiver on the lawsuit, the grievance that they did negotiate in good faith, and the playoff system they want. So the players have a little bit of leverage here. But listen, the question to me, Pat, is whether we're going to come out with a 60 game or 62 or 65 or 58. Right now, we're there, basically. It's just standing and and pointing, (laughs) not talking to each other and pointing fingers. But, Andrew, isn't the job of the commissioner to kind of be the guy who goes to the owners and goes, hey, let's try to get this done? And isn't he supposed to go to the players and say, hey, let's get this done? And hasn't he done the complete opposite of that? Doesn't it feel like every time he opens his mouth, he almost makes it go a step backwards? It feels like Rob Manfred is the least polished commissioner in the history of commissionering ship. It really does feel like that's the case. You know, here's the problem. I think half of what you said is true. And unfortunately... The other half isn't. Really, the commissioner works for the owners. He's reporting to them. That's his constituency. It's it's fun to say he cares about the game and the players and all that, but really, <laughs> he works for the owners, and I teach commissioner power in law school. I understand it. Everything is about the owners. They hire. They fire. They set his pay. They set his report card, if you will. This is clearly true with Goodell, who's sort of lived on this taking the bullets so they don't have to. And I think that's a lot what's going on here. I think the owners are pushing Manfred to make a really tough deal. And he is the messenger. Now, he's a smart guy. He's doing his own negotiating, but they're pushing it. So this sort of euphemism that the commissioners are for the good of the game, I don't know. I will. One exception is Adam Silver, who we can talk about. I think he's much more player-oriented. 
but other commissioners pretty much you know it's owners man okay so let's talk about we'll talk about adam silver in a few but let's talk about the nfl i have a very firm belief that no matter what happens no matter what tony Fauci says no matter what anything else says the nfl will figure out a way to go about having their season without any interruptions now maybe there'll be no fans in the stands maybe they'll have to adjust that way but when it comes to sundays in the fall there will be nfl games because that's how the nfl owners operate am i wrong in thinking that you're not wrong but for the first time in the last couple days pat i've had questions now before i say that you're right Full speed ahead, draft. They signed a CBA before the pandemic even hit. Draft, free agency, schedule release with no contingencies. They made a schedule with no <laughs> contingencies. You know, how about that? So they're full speed ahead. They're going back to work today in the office I just saw. But, you know, listen, we can't dismiss Fauci. He's talking about, okay, they're not going to be in the bubble like NHL, NBA. That's a problem. Think about it. If they're not in the bubble... They're not only interacting with their locker room, which is already jam-packed, but they're going out to family and other interactions. And we have all these positive tests coming in. We know about Zeke Elliott and Vaughn Miller, but we don't even know about these other ones. And they're not even practicing. So what's, you know, the problem to me is, you know this better than I do. You can have 100 pages of protocols, but they none of them are going to say, this is how you play football, because football it's contact. It's the opposite of social distancing. And I just wonder if they're put, you know, here's where I just wrote about this for Sports Illustrated. We hear, we hear the number one priority or highest priority of the NFL back from concussions is player health and safety. If that was true, they wouldn't play. Okay. If that was really true, they would not play. This is a highly virulent, transmissible disease. They would not play. It is not true. It's not true. We know. They, it's not, it hasn't been true, though, for years. They play on Thursdays, got to play on Sunday. Yeah, they, they only came out with the health and safety the, thing whenever Dr. Will Smith came out, and then that kind of disappeared. As I said, as you noted, the business of sports always wins. Listen, I, my point is we're adults. We get it. You don't have to lie to us. You can, you're, you can say we're mitigating the risk of health and safety with this virulent disease as best we can, but we are not going to disrupt a $15 billion business. We get it. We get it. I get it more than anyone. So listen, I just think we have to be honest about health and safety being a number one priority because it's not. If that was the case, they wouldn't play. That's true for all leagues. All leagues. Okay, let's if talk. If that was the case, they would not play football this year or Let, basketball, baseball, hockey. Let's talk about the NFLPA's doctor that I didn't even know existed. He come out now and said that uh, Dr. Thom, he said, do not work out in groups no more. We are recommending that our players do not work out in groups anymore because of the increase in COVID-19 cases in more words than what I just said. Do you think that's potentially a play for the NFLPA to put their feet in the ground right now saying, hey, we've been telling them not to work out together. And then whenever this July 28th date comes for the training camp, are we potentially going to see the same type of thing that's going on with the NBA and the NBPA right now whenever it comes to player safety and conversation? And is that why the NFLPA doctors come out now and said, this is where we stand on it because this is inevitably going to become a much larger conversation as we get closer to the training camp? Absolutely. And you know my saying on Twitter, there will be lawyers. (laughs) There are going to be a lot of lawyers involved here. I have team executives from the NFL ask, telling me 
they're wondering about waivers. They're wondering about waivers because of liability, and not so much liability of the player. As I said, the player is going to go home. They're going to be at-risk people. And what about, God forbid, a player infects an older relative who something drastic happens, and the team has liability. So I'm looking at the issue of waivers. I'm looking at the issue of opt-outs. I think there are going to be players, NBA, NHL, soccer, football, that want to opt out. And some have reached out to me through DM on Twitter. And I, my first question is, are you okay not getting paid? And they say, why can't I get paid? Because I'm fearful, because my wife, because my grandmother, my, 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 mother's, my wife's mother lives with us. All these kind of things are going on right now. And I'm really wondering how this is all going to be handled because people aren't thinking through, you know, all these tests. And the other thing Dr. Tom Mayer, who you referenced, said <laughs> on a conference call was, you know, people think NFL players, big, strong, healthy, are, are, are armored up against this thing. We have a lot of African-Americans. We have a lot of high BMI measurements. And we have a lot of sleep apnea. Those are three disproportionate impacts we've seen with the virus. That's a problem. And what also concerned me, Pat, is that I read Von Miller, just it was kind of a throwaway article somewhere, where, yeah, like 25 days after I recovered, I'm still feeling. You know, and, I, and I've got wind capacity issues. And I'm like, really? Von Miller? Like, this is a, <laughs> this is a problem. Am I saying don't play football? No. What I'm saying is we've got a lot to accept here if we're going to go forward. And I think that's what's going to happen with the NBA, right? The NBA is going to do this down in Orlando on July 31st. They are going to have the tournament. It's just whether or not who will join them. That's going to be because Brian Windhorst was on ESPN this morning, and I think he talks to a lot of players. He said that there's going to be guys that say no because of COVID-19. There's going to be guys that are saying no because of the convenience part. There's going to be people that are going to say no because of the social justice movement they want to be a part of. There's going to be guys that say no, and the NBA is like, we're still going to do this with or without them. Do you think the NFL potentially does that same type of mindset? Set? Well, the NFL has the luxury of watching and observing all these other leagues, especially the NBA. What I'm really interested in is Adam Silver was on ESPN on that commissioner thing last week with Mike Greenberg, and they asked him about opt-outs like you're talking about. And to me, again, a lawyer, he seemed receptive. He seemed to be in the camp that if they want out for social unrest, if they want out for physical health, it sounded like he was receptive to that. Now, I don't know if that means they necessarily get paid or they have a doctor's note or whatever it is. But if that's a precedent, I don't see how Roger Goodell can then say, well, that's basketball. You know, so we, we may get into that whole thing about what are the opt outs? What is the procedure? What's the process? What's the policy? Andrew, what's the real money? Bottom line, let's say there's no fans for NFL for the first eight weeks, okay? Eight weeks of the 17-game season. Financially, the numbers that were getting thrown out there by Schefter, how, that was that a couple months ago. Like, the amount of money that they said they, they could potentially go out on is massive. But the TV rights negotiations are still coming up at the same time. So with the TV rights negotiations, which goes into a large part of the player's cap and the player's money, but without the fans' money, what does the salary cap look like next year in 2021 if there's no fans for half the season, but the TV rights deal is still negotiated? Does that have a fall drop-off, or do you yeah. think it kind of maintains let's look at this so first on baseball what they've been fighting about all along is they say 40 percent of their revenues is based on game day 40 percent 
So they're not going to have fans. They're not going to have game day revenues. They're losing forty percent of their game, of their total revenues. A lot of beers watching baseball. By the way, <laughs> a lot of beers. Those are long games. Football, because of the immense size of national TV, that fact that that teams get two hundred seventy million before they turn the lights on. <laughs> Football revenues for game day. The best I can come up with is about twenty percent. So. Where Schefter was coming up, I think, too high with a number like $5 billion, I was saying more like $3 billion because if you have $15 billion total, you take away 20%, that's $300 million. Now, if it's half the season, half that, $150 million. It's going to be reflected in the team cap for next year because the way the cap is allocated and calculated, it's for the next season. So where I'm suggesting is what's going on in baseball is going to happen in football. Not to the contentiousness, not to the degree, but I see it happening. I see Roger Goodell coming to D. Smith and J.C. Treader and saying, do you really want a cap in 2021 lower than 2020? That doesn't look good for the players. Now, you can explain it away with COVID, but I see them getting into 2020 cap to smooth it, i.e. lower it, so that you actually have a stair step in 2021. No one knows what the revenue loss is going to be, but in projecting it out, you know, we see people like Schefter and Ian Rappaport talk about a loss of $40 million in cap room per team. I don't think it'll be that, but they want to get ahead of this. I think they should. Do you think that's why Dak Prescott signed his $31.4 million guaranteed? Because he has no idea what the money's going to look like going forward after this year? I think that's part of it. You know, if I'm, rep- if I'm working for the Cowboys, the Chiefs, the Texans... There's no way, I did this for 10 years, there's no way I can say, let's go commit to Mahomes or Deshaun or Dak right now. You can't. You can't. So I'm looking at it from the other side, from the team hat. You can't. The only negotiation we've had this offseason, really, is McCaffrey. And everybody is like, uh, I don't know. You know, we're not going there. We don't know what 2021 is going to look like. We don't know what 2020 is going to look like. You know, and and I think Dak and I think Deshaun and Pat Mahomes actually gain leverage by waiting, so it's good for them too. If they play well and not get hurt, obviously. Andrew, you just talked you just talked about potentially lowering the twenty twenty cap. How does that work for teams like the Chiefs who had five hundred dollars worth of cap space recently? How does that do they are they do they place a rule where teams are allowed to be over the cap since they're lowering it this late into the process? Well, they're obviously not going to say it's lowered and then tomorrow you got to get under. They're going to give you time, but I just think like every year, COVID or not, high-paid veterans are at risk. And you know that. They're getting younger and younger. Rookie contracts are taking up now 50 to 65% of NFL rosters. Jeez. So that's going to be played out. You know, we see it every year, veterans getting cut. There may be more coming up this offseason. Andrew Brandt, every time I talk to you, I feel like I get smarter. You can check out his podcast, Business of Sports Podcast. You can read his stuff at MMQB. He's executive vice president of Vayner Sports. This man's got more jobs than me somehow. <laughs> it's because he's got a big, big, big old brain. Ladies and gentlemen, Andrew Brandt. Thank you, Andrew. Hey, Thank you, guys. Always enjoy it. Yeah, me. Cheers, man. Can't thank you enough for listening. Hope you enjoyed the conversations. I thoroughly enjoy good conversations. And I'm thankful that you chose to listen to some that we had today. 
What a life this is. Crazy time to be alive. Crazy time to be alive. What will the players of the MLB say? What will the other leagues do? TBD. We'll see you on Thursday. Remember, if you like this show, please tell a friend. Hashtag this where I'm at, Pat. Take a picture of where you're listening to the show. Be a part of a video we're creating about spending time together this quarantine. We did this as a team. We're not out yet, but we're damn, damn close. See you Thursday. Ty Schmidt, please play some independent music. Last time.